0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, and now your host, A.L. Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we're now on our fifth year, but it's true. And it's only because of you, the listeners. And if you'd like to see us stick around for another five years, there are a few simple things that you can do that would really, really help us out. And I would be endlessly appreciative. Number one, share our episodes with your friends. If you get something out of these episodes, I'm sure they will too. So please share us with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and our guests too. My Instagram is at A.L. audio. And let me just let you know that we love seeing ourselves tagged in these posts. Who knows? We might even respond. And number three, leave us reviews and five stars, please, anywhere you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again, I want to thank you all for the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never, ever charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way possible. All I ask in return is a share, post, and a tag. Now let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guest today is Jimmy Alexander, who's a vocalist and producer from the Gold Coast region of Australia. His band Awaken I Am is signed to Victory Records, and I think he's best known for his production and songwriting for Slaves. Anyways, I'm going to stop talking. I introduce you, Jimmy Alexander. Jimmy Alexander, welcome to the URM podcast.
1: Thank you very much, man. Honored uh, Honored to be here and chat to you. Thanks, Well,
0: How's life in Australia? Sounds to me like you're actually pretty busy right now, considering the situation.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting, man. Australia didn't get hit too bad by this coronavirus issue until very recently.
0: What changed?
1: The second wave came through and, you know... The drop bears yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, good old uh, Melbourne started getting sick and it spread like wildfire. And then, of course, there's the few people that had to travel over the border to the different states and start spreading it. So my state's having a bit of a second wave now, and uh, all the borders are closed again, so we lost a bit of work. All the interstate work has had to be cancelled, which is a shame. But life goes on, man. We, we do what we can. <laughs> and
0: how is it affecting you?
1: Uh, well, yeah, like I said, there's a few jobs that we've, you know, we've had to sort of postpone or cancel Uh, because they can't come here Oh, okay, that's
0: what you meant by interstate jobs.
1: Yeah, yeah, sorry, bands that were traveling in from interstate we had to cancel, um, which is a a big bummer, but there's always plenty to do, you know how it is, you you find some time and you can fill it pretty easy with stuff that you've got to catch up on, so... Yeah, uh,
0: mixing and stuff like that, basically.
1: Yeah, I'm in the middle of an intense drum editing grind right now, so more time is a little bit welcomed, so it's going well.
0: Yeah. Have you done any remote production with Yes. Anybody?
1: Yeah. So that's what I was going to go into. It's, um, so the whole coronavirus period has been really busy for me just because of the the capabilities of remote production. And it's been kind of interesting. A bit of a learning experience, sort of like sharing information with the people I'm working with on how to record themselves if they're recording themselves or sending information to their engineer if they're going to an engineer and, and writing back and forth. It's uh, It's been time-consuming and a bit of a challenge, but... All in all, it's gone really smooth. I did a record with a group called Signals. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, but it's Michael Jackson from Skylight Drive. Yeah, his new his new venture. Um, And we did that remotely, where they he tracked his vocals with an SM7B in his closet, I'm pretty sure, and it actually sounded okay, (laughs) got the job done. (laughs) And then the guitarist in another state tracked guitars, and then we did fake guitars, and I tracked uh, sorry fake drums, and I tracked bass. Um, We sort of co-produced. And it was just—it was really interesting. It took a really long time, but the record's done and it's coming out now, and that went well. I'm doing the same thing with Johnny Craig now.
0: What was interesting about it? Like, what was the challenge?
1: I, I think the creative stuff, just because the—it's so different. You know, if someone's next to you and they're like, "Hey, I really want to try this," or you're like, "I really want you to try this," it's so easy. But if they're on the other side of the world and it takes three days to get a back and forth going, and you'd be like, "Hey, man, I don't like the way you pronounce this one consonant. We need to get it a little bit better." And then two days later, they respond because it's the weekend for them. And before you know it, it takes a week to get one word retracted. So that and then obviously pitching creative ideas as well. It was, uh, yeah, the interesting thing was the time consumption.
0: (laughs) How do you go about it, like pitching a creative idea when you're not not there to do it? Because I feel like the best way to pitch a creative idea is right then and there, play them the idea.
1: Absolutely. I've pretty much just, let it
0: speak for itself.
1: Yeah, I did that from afar. I'd just make it. If it was guitar or vocals, I'd do it with my own voice, play the guitar myself. Or if it was programming, I'd obviously just do that myself, and then send it back and be like, "Hey guys, I think this is sick. Have a listen. Let me know what you think." And um, yeah, pretty much the same thing I'd do in person. Just takes a while to get a response. It would have been nice if they were just to my left or right and could say yes or no then and there. But exactly the same thing. Yeah, make the idea, pitch it to them. And generally, they're like, this is sweet. And life life keeps moving.
0: (laughs) Do you feel like uh, it's harder to get into the groove of a project? Yes. Like maintain a flow?
1: Yeah. Because of that? Absolutely, man. Uh, That aspect is hard. And just booking time is really difficult because, you know, you don't know how many times you're going to have to go back and forth on one part or one song or the whole record. And allowing time for that, and not getting too busy with something else, or putting too much time into this, and letting your other work fall uh, off to the side—that was the trickiest thing. And it it did cost me in a few areas. Like a couple of jobs sort of fell off, and I fell behind, and had to be that dude that was being slow, which I pride myself on being punctual. So that was not awesome. That was the probably the most challenging part.
0: It was the opposite of awesome.
1: Yeah, the opposite of awesome, man. It was yeah. it was so frustrating. And then bands would come and be like, "Hey, man." You know, we we need all these changes and we're going to need them in four days. And I'd be stuck there Because we're like,
0: going on tour.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in coronavirus. And then I'd be stuck there like, sweet, dude, I have so much to do in the next four days. Like, I'm going to need this amount of time. And they're like, well, we have a... De- oh, it was just, things got a little messy here and there. But for the most part, I tried to be as lenient as I could and just expected the same in return. if If people could just bear with me through a pandemic... And um, yeah, we got we got some really good things done. So happy, happy outcome.
0: How are you approaching the time management aspect? Because it seems like the best idea is to stack multiple projects so that while you're waiting for response from one, you can work on another and so on and so forth. But that can also that can also backfire.
1: Exactly. <laughs> the backfiring part is where it gets rough. Um, so yeah, exactly what I'd do. I'd I'd be working on multiple things. I'd arrange my week really nicely. And, you know, Monday through to Friday, I'd work on all these things. Friday night, I send it all off and I'm like, sweet, we're good to go. And then suddenly on Monday, them plus a few people get back to me and I'm like, damn, this is this is not good. This is too much going on at once. <laughs> and if I could just lay it all out, you know, uh, consecutively, it would be really nice. And if everyone could get back to me in the perfect amount of time in an ideal world, that would be awesome too. But that's obviously wishful thinking and not going to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how how do you go about managing it?
1: Oh, it's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Just try, try my best, try not to suck and try and do as much as I can in a short amount of time. But I think most of it comes from – it's funny. I've actually been going through this recently and trying to have a much more scheduled work life, which – I'm sure you know is very hard when you're producing music for a living.
0: Very hard. Period.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm trying now to just sort of lay out an expectation of what it's going to be like if someone sends me, uh, you know, say say it's revision notes on a song that we're working on creatively together. Because I think that's the hardest thing. Like mixing, you can sort of have a good understanding of how long something's going to take, and if you need to do revisions, it's you know it's not the most time uh, consuming thing as opposed to if you've written a whole song for someone and they're like, hey, yeah, we like the first verse and we need to redo two and a half minutes of a three-minute song. That's when things can get hard. And I think it's just all about establishing a good back and forth, doing solid uh, pre-production and preparation and just, yeah, making sure the other person understands that if they get back to you on Monday saying they need this whole song restructured, you cannot do it on Tuesday. And that you'll work out a new time arrangement when those notes come. That's uh, that's been my biggest sort of mission, which doesn't always work either. But it's better than, as you said, just letting things stack up, and then everything comes back stacked up, and then you're kind of screwed.
0: <laughs> how do you approach pre-pro in general during, like, how is it different now versus normal?
1: Uh, well, pre-pro now, I guess the biggest thing is I do most of it. I'm trying to think of a good example. But a good, actually a group from uh, Glasgow hit me up recently and we started talking about working together uh, and they have nothing to record. They don't even have like a, a laptop and a Focus, right? You know, those little 2i2 things that don't even have that. They just had iPhones and a dude playing guitar and a girl singing. Super talented, they're sick, but they had nothing to record with. So I was like, well, we're going to need a demo and then I can track everything for you and then you can go and do, it, do vocals elsewhere and get them engineered locally to you, that's fine. Uh, But obviously we had no means to do pre-pro, so it pretty much just falls on me. And I'm like, damn, now I'm here alone. I don't know really what they want from the song. I have like a minute and a half of an iPhone recording with a dry guitar and a vocal and just a direction. So, yeah, it's it's pretty hard. I think it's different for every project. And I sort of essentially just wing it, but an an educated wing it. You know, (laughs) it's not just a stab in the (laughs) dark, but... Yeah, I sort of just go through and make the song myself, and then send it through to them. And I'm like, if you have, if you like this, let's move forward, and and we'll arrange time like this, and sort of just take it one step at a time, you know.
0: How how do you know that you're uh, that you're going in the right direction when you get something as, <laughs> I guess, as rough as just an iPhone demo?
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's you kind of don't do you? You just hope for the best and trust your. Trust Trust your your instincts. Yeah, exactly, man. Just trust that I'm not, you know, yeah, not taking this the complete opposite way of what they want. Fingers crossed, try and make it as cool as I can. And generally, I just base it off, if I like it, hopefully they do too. And that's about as far as it goes.
0: (laughs) Well, I think uh, the main thing that a producer is getting hired for is their taste.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that's kind of the most important part of the job, you know, being able to take something... That is pretty plain musically and make it awesome whether it's through sonic brilliance of good mixing or just a great arrangement and great songwriting like you knowing the ins and outs of a genre and how it's structured and how the music is is created and how it's layered and how everything's arranged and comes together and moves along together i think that's probably you know undebatably the most important part of of producing quote unquote because it's a loose term these days
0: (laughs) it it definitely is a loose term but i feel like with producers there's a spectrum of like producers that are very very much just about engineering and getting the band to sound good and then producers who you know will do what you do uh and it's kind of two completely different approaches almost
1: yeah absolutely
0: one's not better than the other i think
1: Mm, i agree man and Usually I feel like people are definitely better at one or the other. That's that's the one thing yeah, I noticed. Yeah. I've got a lot of friends who are awesome engineers, so they make me just look like a an infant with what I do, like it's it's a school project or something. But they can't really write a song. So they, they rely on having a good band come through and have their music prepared, ready to go, and they can just make a great guitarist sound like a great guitarist, you know. They
0: make it sound like it's their best day.
1: Exactly. Ever. Yeah. But a uh, a band could come in with the worst song ever and they will still leave with the worst song. It's just going to be really nicely mixed.
0: (laughs) So I think one of the hardest things for a producer that's establishing themselves is gaining the trust needed for a band to allow them to mangle their songs, basically.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: How did you go about establishing that?
1: Oh, there's, there's a few, I guess, a few main approaches. I guess the number one thing would be exactly what you said, where it comes in handy to be able to play multiple instruments. I'm not a guitarist, but I can play guitar. You know, those, those people.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah, not a guitarist.
0: You, you, can, you can do what you need to do to get the job done.
1: Exactly. I can play to an, a very editable standard, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the time, if I have an idea... And I'm like, this idea is so sick. I need this band to take on this idea. I'll just be like, guys, I've got an idea. Give me five minutes and I'll make it and I'll show you. And usually that's the the thing, you know, if they can hear it, kind of like you said, if they can hear it, they don't even have to track. I can just play it exactly how I how I want, exactly how I'm thinking it, exactly how I'm hearing it, put it all in for them. And generally they will like that. But there is the credibility thing for sure. I remember... um. Yeah, mostly in the, the first few years of doing this, it was very hard to pick up a band, at least a good band, and be like, hey, I'm hearing this, why don't you give it a shot? And they'd just look back and say, well, I, I wrote this part intentionally to be like this, so I don't really want to... Fuck off. Yeah, and then you're stuck there like, sweet, man, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Let's just go with your shitty idea and we'll call it a day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's your attitude when your ideas do get shot down?
1: I think I, I I say this all the time. I feel like a broken record saying, but I always say I think this idea is sick. But at the end of the day, it's your song, and if you're happy, I'm happy. Because ultimately, they, you know, you get paid to make people happy with what they leave with.
0: Yeah, but you are getting paid for your opinion too. So where's the line?
1: Exactly. That's that's the hard middle line, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, and I guess it depends how strongly I feel about the idea. I've definitely found myself saying to people, like, your opinion is your opinion and we'll do whatever you want to and do. And you're but- wrong. Yes, exactly. But if your opinion is this, <laughs> your opinion's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely said that before. But at the end of the day, I will cave if someone feels... I- it's like a battle of who feels stronger, you know? <laughs> who, can- who can convince the other one?
0: I mean, sometimes the artist is right when it comes to that stuff.
1: Yes, definitely, definitely.
0: <laughs> and I-, I think that that sort of thing is best kind of established up front like the parameters i think uh some artists are looking for that yeah. they don't give a fuck if you play everything they just want something awesome to put their name on but some artists are just not okay with that but the thing about it is they're usually pretty upfront about it at the beginning from what i've noticed except for at the local levels that's a little bit more confused at that level, I think. But once bands are national, it, in my experience, they're pretty, they're pretty uh, down to do whatever it takes and have a pretty clear vision and understanding of how to do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And if I'm honest, I actually haven't really dealt with that many people who aren't open to ideas. It, it seems to be much more uncommon than you know people who like you say upfront say if you if you hear anything sick please tell us and we'll we'll give it a shot like we want your input
0: so it seems like you're getting clients that are coming to you specifically because of what you do
1: yeah that's that's the other thing that I was going to get to as well with the, the credibility sort of thing most people that come to me have either heard something I've done and they're like, I want to sound like that, so make me sound like that. Do what, do whatever you need and make it happen and, I, <laughs> and it's my my responsibility to make it work or it's because of, yeah, my band or another band I've worked with that sounds similar to my band, I guess, and they're like, we really like what you do, your direction, your songwriting, um, and we're trying to head that direction but we don't really know what we're doing, so please piece piece it together for us. So, yeah, it's it's mostly people coming to me for the writing aspect. That's my... My most common job is people saying they like what I do and they want that. So, can I do it?
0: Do you consider yourself a writer first and a producer second?
1: Yes, definitely. Man, I constantly, I guess it's a common thing. Everyone probably has it, but I listen to my mixing and I listen to other people, like particularly people who have been on this podcast. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, why? Uh,
0: there's some killers on this <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs> yeah, <man.
1: laughs> like some of the world's best. And I'm like, Jesus, my stuff sounds so bad. But it's the I think it's the songwriting that you know the matches feeling. up. <laughs> Sad feeling is every day, man. I just get in my car and drive home, and tears roll down. <laughs> it's not a good time. <laughs> but I think um, I do think the area where I yeah where I have actually something of, of a lot of value is writing. Absolutely, and it's been that way since I was young. I've not really ever had a natural ear for what sounds great, but writing has been something in my life since I was probably five years old or so.
0: So it seems like production is more of a means to an end for you.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: That's a, I mean that's why I started too. I wanted to be able to get my band recorded, but I my main thing was writing for it, but going to a studio just was out of the question because it was so expensive. So yeah, it yeah. would have been like 30 grand when we were like when we were on sign, so I just decided to Learn how to do it
1: Yeah, that's awesome
0: But uh, I I never had like a passion for production or anything I just did it because it was a means to an end
1: Yeah, well I was kind of the same Exactly the same actually Growing up I was always like an individual sort of solo musician I really liked folk music growing up and I, I just remember my dad having a little computer and a little sort of studio setup, up just with sort of Logic and a Mac and a funny little interface. Um, and I'd record myself on that constantly and I'd always just be trying to record my guitar and my voice and it wasn't to make it sound good, it was just to write music and finish music. It was never because I, I wanted to be, you know, the next greatest producer in the world or make my guitar sound better than this guitar. It was just, I just liked to make songs and make music and it kind of started and ended there.
0: At well, what point did trying to make it sound better enter the equation?
1: That's uh, an interesting question. I guess where um, it probably would have been when I had to start showing people my music and realize <laughs> it sounded yeah, bad. Yeah, that'll do <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. it, does, it didn't really bother me if it was just in my ears and I was just putting down ideas. But
0: yeah, because you know what it's supposed to be. You've got the vision.
1: Yeah, exactly. I listen with my imagination and I hear it sounding incredible, but it it definitely didn't that's for sure <laughs> but nobody else has your imagination <laughs> exactly so. yeah exactly so um i remember just getting in touch with some friends like that were involved in audio production and i was like hey man like how do i make this sound good what plugins do i use and i was using logic and it had all these sick plugins and my friends were like uh, reaper is really big in australia So all my friends were like, "Dude, use Reaper," and I got Reaper, and I was like, "Sick!" Um,
0: Valuation for life. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly, man. No license, just wait that five seconds, (laughs) and I was like, "I'm ready to be a big producer, man." I've got the new program. Use Reaper. Yeah, and uh, then I realized it comes with like six plugins, and I was like, "Damn, I can't. I have no like reverb. I can't make music with this." So uneducated me went out and bought Pro Tools, thinking it was going to be like the key to success. I was like 16. Bear in mind, I didn't really know anything. (laughs) And I was like, all the big guys use Pro Tools. If I use Pro Tools, I'll be big too. And then I was like, Pro Tools is the same. I only have like air EQ or whatever it's called and nothing else. How can I make a song sound good? I have no like logic sound libraries, no logic strings, no logic this or logic presets. And then, yeah, I guess I had to start diving into the world of third-party plugins, and I didn't even know what they were. I didn't know they existed, and hit up some friends, and yeah, my friend introduced me to like Valhalla Room, I think was the first one, and I just remember being like gobsmacked, man. I was like, oh, this that's reverb's incredible. Oh, I still use it every day.
0: Oh, yeah, it's fantastic.
1: Love it. And uh, yeah, that's sort of where it all started. I was like, this reverb is so cool compared to my like reverb preset I used online. Granted, the Logic plugins are sick, but... I didn't know what I was doing. And I started playing around with not presets. And I was like, this is cool, man. This is actually really addictive. Maybe I'll start recording other things and try and get it to sound good and start putting stuff out. And I guess it all blossoms from there, doesn't it? You you get like one little taste for making something sound a little less bad. And you're like, "This is this is cool.
0: <laughs> a little less bad is the way I've always looked at music in general. Like I always thought of guitar... For instance, uh, my guitar player, I always thought of it as sucking less. Yes, basically. Ex- I still think you're not I'm really just getting better. <laughs> you're
1: sucking less. Still, man, every day I'm like this. Yeah, this this mix is a little less bad than it was. I'm I'm doing good. This is progress.
0: At what point did people actually start paying you to make stuff sound better or right for them? Like how long after you decided to take the plunge and get Pro Tools?
1: Probably a good couple of years. Like uh, this is, again, when I was I was maybe sixteen years old or something. I started recording uh, covers, and putting those again, just a songwriter, like me on my acoustic guitar, singing very sad love songs because I thought that's what was cool. And then I'd put those out on Facebook and things, and and people would be like, "Damn, this sounds cool." And my friends would be like, "Hey, I didn't know you could record. Can I record covers with you?" And I was like, "Of course." I had like a good group of musician friends, so I started recording their covers. And then progressively, my covers and their covers started to sound a bit cooler than just having an iPhone in front of you. So their friends were like, "Hey, man, your friend that records your covers. Can I come and record my covers with him?" And then I, I remember I recorded my first EP, if you can call it that. It was this was so bad, like the worst. It, I still have it, and I can never show anyone. It's so bad. <laughs> but I, <laughs> It's my that bad. Yeah, awful man. Like I, I, there's no words. I don't have the vocabulary to describe <laughs> how bad this was. But uh, my, my friends decided they want wanted to. I want to hear it. <laughs> maybe I'll send it to you after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my friends, yeah, they decided they wanted to do like a folky EP. And they were pretty good musicians as well, so it's hard to make them sound bad. But I managed to still.
0: You managed Got the job done.
1: Exactly. So I got a an, a little Apogee duet, which was actually pretty sick looking back on it. I kind of wish I still had it.
0: it actually, that is a really good little interface.
1: Yeah, it was sick, man. I had that and a, a Rode NT-1A, uh, and that's it. And it was just in a, a, a sort of empty... Shed? We call it a shed. Do you have sheds in America? Is that a American? We have sheds. Okay, cool. (laughs) I've never heard an American say shed. So yeah, we had. uh, They
0: say shed. I promise.
1: Nice. Maybe I was thinking of garage or something. Who knows? We have those too. (laughs) Damn! Now I just look like an idiot. (laughs) We don't
0: have drop bears though.
1: Yeah, we we got an abundance of those. So it was an empty shed, uh, which later I'll get into that. It got sort of turned into a studio as I got older, which was cool. But we had this empty shed couple of rugs on a concrete floor, so this thing was loud as hell as you can imagine. I saw studios with rugs and I was like, this needs some rugs. That's like the studio thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a coffee table, a little desk, a little Mac, an Apogee Duet and a Rode NT1A and a very noisy room. Um, And I decided to record these guys' EP. Uh, Good friends of mine, so I did it for free. I hadn't charged for anything then anyway, so I probably would have done it for free anyway. Uh, and we have this thing in Australia called schoolies, which I guess would kind of, I feel like it would be like spring break in America, where it's like. It's you, called schooling? Schoolies. Um, schoolies. Okay. Yeah, it's when you finish your last year of school.
0: Okay, we don't have that.
1: Yeah, nice, good. I'm onto something.
0: <laughs> yeah. We figured it out.
1: Yeah, you finish your last year of school. And you basically just go and party. It's for like two weeks. It's really common along along the east coast of Australia. And yeah, you basically just go out and party for two weeks. And I remember taking my school laptop with me because it had this EP on it and I had to mix and quote unquote, mix and master this EP. And I, I just remember everyone partying and me being on my laptop trying to like mix and master this EP and use... Uh, I think I went back to Logic because I was using uh, Logic like Flex Tune, you know, that pitch correction thing in Logic. Mm-hmm. I was trying to use that awfully. It's, it's I can't explain how bad it sounds. Uh, and I was 18 at the time and that's when, yeah, I was like, this is taking up my time. I should be partying with my friends. I think I need to start charging people for this. Uh, and that's kind of where I started being like, all right, if you record a cover with me, I need like, 50 bucks, and we'll call it even, and I'll do it. And it, took, it would take like two days to make this cover. And I was like, $50, that's cool. I've got like my leg into paid work. This is sick.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> and, uh, know, I've told people lots of times that if they, that, well, that the best thing they could possibly do to get their name out there is record themselves. Yeah. And put out stuff, whether it's originals or covers or whatever just record yourself well enough for the people around you to take notice. That's, absolutely. That's it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's that's kind of exactly what happened. And then after a certain amount of time, uh, it would have been a good two or three years at least, uh, my friends started being more reputable than me. So when I recorded them, it would get my name out there more than my own music. And that's sort of what started the spread and if I'm honest that was probably only at the start of last year or so like or maybe the year before it wasn't that long ago it hasn't been a long time but I started yeah just recording a a slightly more reputable people bands that were around Australia getting some notice or even just you know certain members from bands that wanted to do side projects I'd pick so hard man I'd reach out to these people and be like hey man have you heard like this song by Sia you should do a vocal cover. It would sound so sick. I will make it for you. In fact, I already have. <laughs> Here's the instrumental. You should come and sing it. <laughs> just reaching out so desperately.
0: So, hold on. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause of course. that can either be the most annoying thing on <laughs> earth, or it can work. It-, <laughs> it can work if you do it right.
1: Yeah, I didn't do it right for a long time. <laughs> Let's just say that.
0: So... What went into doing it right? Like, was it just a numbers game, or
1: I, I think what went into doing it right is that I eventually only did it to people that I was at least on some sort of like association level with. I was so it was
0: you weren't just bombing randoms. No,
1: I tried that. And even if I got really nice responses and I was like, sick, like this band from England I just hit up about working together, it's going to happen, and then they'd just disappear. They were obviously just being nice dudes that couldn't really turn me down.
0: Yeah, why? Well, I mean, if you think about it, why would they work with you if they'd never heard of you You're <laughs> just some dude off the internet?
1: <laughs> if a guy from England hit me up and was like, hey, we should really work together, I would I, I would not say yes. Let's just say that.
0: <laughs> it depends which guy from England.
1: That's a good point, actually. If it was me from England, I would probably say no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there, there are some great producers in England, but I think that that's the that's the key right there. What you said is that you you started working when you were talking to people that were already in your network.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it's the same now. Like I very rarely approach someone that I've never spoken. well actually not really very rarely never I never approach someone that I haven't spoken to or I'm not friends with and say you should work with me I I don't know what it is I don't I don't think it's a good idea maybe I just don't have the pride or something but everyone that's played a show has had it where some guy walks up to them after they're set and he's like hey there's no introduction there's no like let's have a drink let's have some some good fun and a laugh let's not get to know each other it's just hey we should record and you are not going to look that person in the eye and say, totally, I'm coming. <laughs> like, when, do you, when do you want me there? I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> if, if when
0: you phrase it like that it, that, it really illustrates how bad of an idea it is. Yeah. It's a big decision for an artist to decide to go with a producer. Even if they're a local artist, even if they're just doing one cover, it's still a big decision for them. It still is important to them.
1: Totally. And totally.
0: it's super rare... To just do that with some stranger.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, it's a big... Th- I imagine myself, I've only ever worked with a few people because of that exact reason. It's a big...
0: As an artist, you being the artist, them being the producer.
1: Yeah, me being on the other end with my own music, I've I've worked with a few producers, but not many. Same. Yeah, exactly. And it's because you take that... That's not a decision you make lightly, you know. It's something you you think about and you listen to all this person's entire back catalogue... Then you find one record they did that stinks, and you don't even think that the band must have been crap. You're like, "Nah, that person's not a good producer now." Yeah. And then you, <laughs> you can't work with them, and then you start again. <laughs> it's it is a big decision, and ultimately, it should be. You know, that person has a lot of a lot of uh, a big impact on your sound, and it is something and on that, your future. <laughs> yeah, and it is something that should be taken seriously because, yeah, the impact on the sound down to um like finances are everything. It's a big call to make, and I wouldn't make that decision on someone that i don't know
0: (laughs) yeah the the thing that i encourage people to do if they're going to a show is to just try to get to know people yes it don't try to sell them anything just make friends Mm. that's it make friends
1: yeah well that's ultimately how um how i ended up working with slaves which is obviously a big one for little old me where we were on tour together we're we're both our bands are sort of good friends anyway but we were on tour together and the concept of us just making a song for fun slowly came up over the course of a few weeks in conversation but it was never us sitting in a tour van and me turning around to this big shiny band called slaves and being like hey guys i actually own a music hey guys, studio guys you want to record yeah but i'd love it if you came in and did a song i think i could do a really good job of your like that never that conversation never happened <laughs> you know it was a long time of friendship and then Kind of, they we we both mutually met in the middle, and we were like, okay, let's do something for fun, and let's just see how it goes.
0: How did that develop?
1: Well, actually, it was uh, they won't mind me saying this because they've been pretty public about it. It started with the song Heavier, and we we had the same manager at the time, my band and Slaves, and the manager was like, hey man, obviously everything happened with Johnny departing the band and them getting Matt in, and they were like, Matt's it's looking like Matt's going to be permanent. Um, We want to start doing some music, blah blah blah, and they were looking for a producer. And, uh, yeah, the manager, who I won't name, was just like, hey, Jimmy, how do you feel about, like, trying to work with these guys? Maybe you should try and write something and just show them what you can do. So I wrote, like, the first sort of intro, the first verse and the chorus of Heavier and just sung it with my own voice. It was a pretty bad-sounding demo, but the song idea was cool. And I sent it to them and they were so hard on being like, we don't want a songwriter, like, we're a band, we write our own songs, it's fine. And then they heard it and they were like, hey, this is... Actually cool. this is cool. Is like, this sounds like yeah. this sounds really slavesy. And I tried so hard. There was like all these dotted eighth guitars and like moody bass, a bit of an R and B feel. Tried so hard to make it slavesy. And yeah, they were like, This is sick. This sounds like slaves. Maybe we should maybe we should do it. And that's sort of how it all unfolded. And I have done that a few times where
0: So again, you you let the work speak for itself.
1: Exactly, yeah. Even in even in that sense, man, even with friends. So I'll very rarely just be like, Trust me, my work is cool and we will make it happen. I, I still do it as well, um, like working with new people. That Glasgow group that I mentioned, for example, the, when they reached out, it's a sound that I haven't really worked with. I'm confident that I could do it uh, justice, but it's a sound I haven't really worked with. So I was like, give me like two days and just in my spare time, I'm just going to whip up like a 30-second snippet of your song. And I did that, again, just with my own voice, my own playing, and was like, this is the direction I would take it. Let me know what you think. It's not a, it's not a thing I charge for doesn't take that long realistically it takes like half an hour and I was like yeah let me know if this is the direction you like and again that's the work speaking for itself you reach out with a snippet of what it would sound like if you were to work on it because everyone has a a vibe and a direction you know you're trying to get a certain sound out of a certain producer if it's not their sound can be a bit like just beating a dead horse and not going to happen so
0: absolutely so it's interesting to me that you said that you tried to make it talking about the slaves song you tried to do it in their style. So I think one of the toughest things to do as a writer is to put your own style aside and take on the style of somebody else. So how how do you do that? How do you get into the headspace?
1: I think a lot of it would have to come from being a genuine a, a fan of the sound. I've been saying this recently because I've gone into doing some R&B and bordering on like EDM things, but I don't find it hard to make those genres... Uh, in terms of the production, I don't find it hard to create those genres because I'm a fan of the genre. So I know, I know it inside and out. I know what it sounds like. I know what's cool and what's not cool. And it's the same with like that slave sound. There's all these bands, kind of the Eric Ron list of like too close to touch and slaves and like the new word alive. And I'm like, this is so sick. I love this genre. I know it back to front. I'm just going to make it like it's kind of that direction.
0: Your band's in that genre too, kind of.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. But when
0: I heard it, when I, I checked your band out, it was like, ah, okay, I get it. This makes sense.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a a slightly disappointing. Okay, I get it.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all. Okay, uh, cool. <laughs> it's I I understood why the bands you're working with are working with you when when I heard your band.
1: Yes. Okay, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's what we said from the start as well. Like. It works. I'm a fan of their sound. They can tell that by the music that I write. Um, I love that genre. I think it, it almost comes down to just knowing the genre. If someone came up to me and I had to say if I, very hypothetically, because this is not the case, had like the best sounding acoustic drum kit in the world and like the most glorious acoustic guitars and vocal sound, I still couldn't make a country record just because I don't really know what goes into it. I don't listen to the genre. I don't know how it's arranged or composed. As opposed to that sound I've listened to for years. I know it inside and out and I know what makes it great and what makes it not great. Um, well, at least I, I hope I do. <laughs> that sounds a bit too self-assured, but I like to think I know what makes it cool and what doesn't make it cool, and how to how to arrange a track.
0: Well, hey, as long as people agree with you, <laughs> yeah, let's hope you know,
1: so.
0: <laughs> you're employed. That's,
1: yes, that's exactly, matters. exactly. Man, I've digressed so far. I forgot what we were even talking about.
0: We were talking about taking on somebody's style.
1: Yeah, I think that I think it just comes down to. Well, not comes down to it, it makes it so much easier if you are a genuine fan of that style. I've definitely done songs and records before where I am not into the style, and I'm trying to make it work, and no matter how hard I try, I can't. I just can't get it done.
0: What, do you just let them know you can't get it done? Uh, yeah. You just hit them up and say, just not, I'm not the right guy?
1: It's definitely that's a that's a good point. That's a learning experience, isn't it? Where you learn maybe just not to take on jobs that you're not you're not really gonna do a good job on, just for the money, because it does it doesn't pay off in the end. I've done that before where I'm like, all right, I have a spare month, I could get paid here, let's take on this like eighties pop band sort of thing, and uh, try and make it work and it's just the biggest failure of all time. So now I know that's again back to that Glasgow group. That's another reason why I do that. Sort of uncharted territory. Let me pitch you an idea, and if you like it, we can work together. If not, it's fine. No, no offense taken. Like we just won't do it because if I'm not going to do it uh, justice, if I'm not going to do a good job in the direction that you want, it's going to be hell for both of us. So
0: I think that with your style of production is super important. I think with the more engineer style producer, they should say yes to everything when they're starting out.
1: Yes, yes.
0: But. For the writing producer, it makes sense that you would turn things down that you're not feeling because how are you supposed to write something that you're not feeling? Like if the bands are coming to you to basically create the whole fucking thing or just like do intense surgery on it, how are you gonna do that if you're not feeling it?
1: Exactly. it's it's I genuinely don't think it's possible, no matter how good you are. I should rephrase that. It's not possible for me, given my current skill set, I've realised. Maybe someone else can do it that's better. But if I'm not into the genre, and it's not a thing of, like, I don't like it, so I don't want to work on it. It's just, if I don't know the genre very well, I probably won't be able to write a good song in that genre. Naturally, it makes complete sense, to me at least. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, that was a learning experience. I got myself into some silly situations when I was a bit younger, trying to write songs for genres that I'd, (laughs) just don't like and don't understand and don't listen to and it has never worked out
0: (laughs) so I totally do also subscribe to specializing and knowing what you specialize in I mean I did that when I was making music I've done it with URM too like for instance I know the metal and rock world inside and out that's the world I come from I do not know the rap world or country world or and a lot of people have have asked, why don't we go into that? And why would we? We're we still there's still a lot of ground to cover in this, and I'd have to start from scratch in worlds that I don't know anything about or even care about, as opposed to this one that I've been in forever, decades at this point.
1: Well, you don't you don't go to a carpenter and ask them why don't they try plumbing like they they're doing carpentry and it's fine. It's working and it's, it's all good. You know, it's a different world to go into something else. I think that's just a common misconception, isn't it? There's no such, it's not all just music that there's very, very different, different skill sets in different veins of music that.
0: Different cultures.
1: Yeah, exactly. Different understandings, different, different everything. It's different worlds. And that's something I think everyone kind of learns the hard way early on, you know, you try and work on things and you're like, damn, I'm, I'm really butchering this specific project. And you you might not even be just butchering that project. You might just butcher that genre when you try because you, you are not good at it. You don't like it. You don't understand it. You haven't done it enough. It, whatever the reason is, I think it's fine to not be good at a certain thing and be good at another or not focus on being good at a certain thing and focus on excelling at another if it's true to your what you're into. To put it simply,
0: I think that it's important for people to expand their horizons, but not into things that they don't like just for the sake of doing it. Yeah.
1: Uh, for yeah. instance,
0: I, I don't like jazz at all. And I hated having to learn it in school. And I, I kind of rebelled against learning it because I don't listen to it. I don't like it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And other people do, but. There's so much to pick up in genres that I do love, why not spend my time on those? exactly and yeah and yeah, if you can you can definitely expand your tastes, but why why worry about something that doesn't do it for you? There's so much out there that you could work on that does do it for you.
1: Yeah, that's exactly my point, but phrased by a much wiser man. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's, it's fine not to like something, you know. And I always, I say to people in so many different worlds, whether it's like touring or producing, just basically music in general, like if you don't like it, probably don't do it because there is not actually that much good about it if you're not enjoying what you're doing. <laughs> that uh, the lifestyle in most music instances that I've seen kind of sucks there's just this epic reward of doing what you love, which is really sweet. But in terms of every other aspect of life for your relationships, most often your bank and your time and your sleep and your diet and your body and your mind, it's probably pretty bad. But you just have this like fueling fire of love for what you're doing that just gets this nice little boost every time you work on it. And it's really good and you can't really live another way. But if you don't have that... I feel like it's probably wise to steer clear <laughs> because it's just not that good.
0: <laughs> I, I completely agree. If if you don't have that, you probably won't last. Yes. So there's two things that will happen if you don't have that sort of fire in you. Number one, you won't work hard enough to get good enough to be competitive. And number two, you won't last because you're not going to work hard enough to be good enough to be competitive and it'll be a very disappointing scenario. Yeah, situation.
1: absolutely. And you ultimately will not be happy in any of those scenarios. So as you see it all the time with with touring bands as well, you know, you look at them and they're in their tour van and they're like, they've, they've had their time or they never got their time, or even they're during, they're in the middle of their time as a band and they're trying to tour and they don't get along as a group and they're so sad in their van and all bitter and hating each other and their relationships are crap. And you look at them, and you're like, "Why? What do you? Why don't you just go and live a, a re- probably normal and very happy, healthy life? Why do you put yourself through all the hardship of being a musician if you're if you don't have the enjoyment aspect? you know, it's so so strange. Different topic, but yeah, probably a different conversation for a different time. But it's it's yeah, very strange.
0: <laughs> well, out of curiosity, have you ever thought about a plan B?
1: I think about a plan B probably every time I get a project that I'm not loving, but then I get a project that I do love, which is pretty regularly, thank God. And I'm like, yeah, no, this is sick. I'm in the right spot. Actually, probably more regularly, I think of a plan B, but I don't have one. I just think that maybe...
0: (laughs) Maybe it might be a good idea, (laughs) but I kind of don't believe in plan Bs.
1: Well, I think if you have a plan B, it's kind of just, it's not your plan B, it's your next destination, because you know this isn't going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right If you've got a plan B, that means you don't really believe in plan A And uh, you kind of need to believe in plan A
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly And there's times where I've like lost faith in plan A And I've gone out and gotten a part-time job Or I've picked back up on vocal coaching Which I did a lot of when I was younger And I was like, I'm going to start this side hustle That will end up my whole hustle And then I won't produce anymore And then I do that for like several hours and realize it's the wrong call and then just bail instantly and I'm just back, back on plan A and I'm like all right cool but I think that's normal too you know a lot of people yes yeah I think it would be you'd have to be a certain kind of weird to just make music and never think maybe I should do something else never get tempted
0: <laughs> yeah I agree that you would have to be a certain kind of weird and to not feel any fear is not normal like you I was talking about this with a friend uh, who's trying to do something entrepreneurial uh, right now and just talking about how he has to do it but it's kind of scary and I was telling him yeah of course it's scary that's anything like that that's worth doing has inherent risk in it which and if there's inherent risk it means there's something scary about it and so if you're not feeling that either you're an idiot or there's something wrong with you either you're an idiot cuz you're not understanding the situation or there's something wrong with you that you can't feel things. <laughs> yeah. But you should be scared. The What makes a difference is how you manage that feeling.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's got to take that feeling of fear and manifest it into something that makes you work, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of the only option. Is that what you do? Yes, absolutely. Because I, I get scared, man. Scared of so many things. I'm like, damn. Uh, I'm scared I'm going to blow this album. So I'm like, okay, well, I, I just can't blow the album and I need to make it cool. Or I'm scared you know, this drum edit isn't going to sound good, so I just have to go and edit the drums and make sure it sounds good, and then it's, you know, fear overcome, and it turns out the equation was really simple, which is a good feeling. But then comes the next fear, and it never ends.
0: <laughs> so what's interesting about that is that it seems like you deal with it in a very logical way. Yes. Like if the if the fear is one specific thing, then it seems like you just do, like, a calculation of how to solve that specific problem, as opposed to letting it spiral. I think a lot of people will be like, I'm going to blow the record, and then my life's going to fall apart, and then, and then, and then, and then. Yeah. They let it get out of control, as opposed to just tackling the issue.
1: Exactly, yeah. I think that's really common, and uh, I think everyone's done it.
0: Well, Yeah, that's how I know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, man. I'm just fortunate that it seems in most scenarios... at the 11th hour, my logic swoops in and takes control, like you said, and it's okay. Mm. But that's definitely not in all circumstances. But even after all those little, little things, you know, all the little speed bumps that come up, which is like every second day, uh, there is still the looming distant fear of what happens if I turn like 40 and I haven't made any money and I have never made a good song and I don't know what to do. <laughs> that's like my biggest fear, man. I'm like, damn.
0: Yeah, I used to have that. I used to have that fear.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exa- I think it it's probably scary. the most common one. It's the one that keeps me up at night, and that's the one where I'm like, I'll just push that a little bit to the back and try and live life as if that fear doesn't exist. And then if people ask, I'll probably say it doesn't exist, but it definitely does.
0: <laughs> oh, that fear drove me for a long time. The being a complete failure because I don't, I never had a plan B. So if I didn't make it work then I really would be a fuck up. It's not like I'd have a side, like a real career and then just not have music work out. Like I I don't consider that to be failure at all. I know that some people who want a music career, who don't do it, but have another career, they kind of secretly feel weird about it, but I don't think they should that they didn't fail. They did something with their life. But I think the fear for people like us is since we don't have plan B. If we don't make it work, then that is actually a pretty bad situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's the scary thing. And if I did get to a point in my life which, like, I'm still quite young. So if something comes up, say, like, in my 30s and I'm like... Yeah, you got time. Yeah, well, if if in 10 years something comes up in my life and I'm like, that's actually kind of sick. Plan B to me is kind of looking a little more shiny than plan A. And I jump ship to plan B. I like you're saying I would not consider that like I've failed at music. It's that I, I think as long as I'm well universal me, so universal you everyone. I think as long as you're going after what is awesome to you and what's going to ultimately bring you some happiness, I don't think the failure aspect really exists. But like you're saying, if it's in my mindset right now where I'm like nothing else is that appealing, there's kind of just this music thing and it doesn't work out, then I will yeah, I'll be that guy that's like 40 And doesn't really know what to do and sort of just stares out the window, sad, (laughs) reminiscing (laughs) on when I thought I knew what to do.
0: (laughs) Don't let that happen.
1: I'll try. (laughs) How old are you? Just turned 24. Happy birthday. Ah, thank you, man. It was months ago, but I'll still take it. I say just because it makes me sad. Happy birthday anyways. (laughs) Thanks, man. You too. Yeah,
0: you've got some time, but it does go quickly.
1: Well, I'm realizing that now, like I know 24 is young, but I feel like just the other day I was still in school. Yeah,
0: just get ready.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> and I hear it gets faster and faster. It's, it's uh, a scary yeah, it concept.
0: <laughs> it goes into overdrive, basically.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm told.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I think that people in their 20s should work their fucking ass off to establish their career because then you can really, really, really profit and do awesome stuff in your 30s and 40s. Like I actually think that for producers and songwriters and creatives their like peak age is like late 40s, early 50s. So Damn, nice. If you set yourself up through your 20s and 30s for that, you can fucking crush it. But a lot of people in their 20s fuck around.
1: Yeah, you blow it, blow those 10 years and then you get stuck.
0: <laughs> I don't think that 30s too late or something. You know, I've seen people who started mixing at 35 and by 40 were doing platinum records that Mm. happens Mm. doesn't happen very often but it happens of course yeah those are their outliers though by and large fucking work your ass off in your 20s
1: Mm. absolutely man that's uh that's really cool to hear from you actually i feel like i should have paid you to come on here this is good for me i think i'm probably getting more out of it than you
0: (laughs) i'm getting paid
1: don't worry oh nice i'm jealous now all right
0: (laughs) I'll send you an invoice, though.
1: Oh, sweet, of course.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, ch- I uh, do buy the hour for psychological services. Yeah,
1: just the therapy. Well, fun, funny, that's. Uh, I've heard this one a lot, so it's, it's basically common knowledge, but isn't it funny that as a producer, you're kind of almost as much a psychologist as you are a, a uh, producer? <laughs> so much of it, I, I guess, especially in the writing sense, getting these things out of people, you spend so much of your time talking to people about their lives and their like, their hardships and their joys that sometimes like, I go through like a a 10-hour session and we've done like 3 hours of work I almost feel guilty cuz I spent 7 hours just talking them through what's going on in their lives and then writing a song about it and that's just part of the job it's it's a weird thing
0: well I mean you kind of have to go through that to get to the point where the song is honest sometimes you know
1: absolutely yeah
0: so it's not really th- it's not really 3 hours of work it's Three hours of making music, but a full day of work. The that talking is work, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a, again phrased by a wiser man than myself.
0: <laughs> so I have some friends who have worked um, high up in in the rap world, and they've all told me that on that is pretty normal, at least in the sessions that they were on. To like, people will show up to the studio late afternoon friends will come by they'll like smoke weed listen to music hang out shoot the shit and by midnight they're ready to track something and they'll track one or two verses and that's it that's that's it 12 hour day and uh on the outside that sounds like sounds awesome a lot of waste <laughs> it sounds like a lot of wasted time uh, absolutely but then again the level of artists that he's talking about that he's worked with, like these are artists that are fucking successful as shit. So who's to say that that's wasting time. If that's what it takes to those verses are going to make a lot of people millions of dollars. So maybe that's what they need in order to get into the right frame of mind to just deliver the goods. And they don't need 12 hours to deliver the goods. They need 11 hours to get primed for it and 15 minutes to actually deliver.
1: Yeah, that's a good a good point, Dan. That's an interesting world, though. I feel like I would lose my mind so quickly.
0: <laughs> well, it's not for everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, like you were saying, it's not the not the world for myself or probably you either. But that's uh, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Maybe I should start doing that and start. Telling people, don't worry, we don't have to record yet. You got seven hours to get ready and then we'll we'll try <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> uh
0: I I've producers who have behaved that way in metal and their careers have fallen apart. Really? Yeah, like just wake up super late, smoke a bunch of weed, start working at like 10 PM, stuff like that. Uh I've seen producers who had great careers, like making records that were, you know, in Billboard Top 40 doing great getting all the metal bands like the big ones and now they're getting nothing and a lot of it had to do with behaving kind of like that so I think certain things that work in some worlds don't work in the others bands aren't cool with that sort of thing Yeah, absolutely. And bands in general I mean there are some bands that are more partiers than others but in my experience with bands you need to be earlier than them and you need to be ready to work all day i think
1: yeah i agree definitely and there's pretty commonly there's that you know the member of the band that's like the the whip cracker, you know yeah you start derailing for like two and a half minutes with your eyes off the screen and this guy's like everyone pff, back to work
0: <laughs> yeah exactly that's that's you have to be cool with you have to be able to basically uh thrive in that kind of environment. I think, if you're going to be working with bands.
1: Absolutely. That's where I'm really thankful. I don't know what it is. When I was younger, I tried to believe in the whole, you know, the musician's hour thing where you're writing a song at 3.30 a.m. because it's what someone else does and it works for them and they're a big star, so you try and mimic their (laughs) lifestyle. Yeah, probably. (laughs) But me, man, I don't know what it is, but if I wake up super early and I've had, like, a good sleep... And I just drown myself in coffee for the morning, have a good meal, and then come to it. I swear I'm most creative at like 9.30am or something. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just always, always trying to structure myself to work nine to five as if I was working a normal job, because as you know, this is anything but a normal job. So trying to bring some sort of level of structure is really nice. And that's a, a bit of a new thing for me, actually, like in the last few months, but loving it. I think it's awesome. I think my songwriting's better. My productivity is better. My level of, um, I, I guess I'd call it enthusiasm and care is is higher. Um, I think I'm a pretty enthusiastic dude anyway, I like to think so at least. So it's all, uh, it's all turned out really good and I've worked with people as well who don't do that, kind of like you were saying, who work through the middle of the night and I like to think I understand, kind of, if that's their thing that gets them creative and they, they pump out killer records all the time and even though it's a bit unorthodox, it works for them. But I definitely don't like it on the other end, like if I'm the artist and I don't like doing it myself as a worker either. So, yeah, I do like the structured approach. I like trying to have a set amount of hours. Obviously, sometimes we go over if we're on a roll or sometimes we wrap up a little early. If it's like, you know, if it's four o'clock and we finish tracking drums, I'm not going to set up an amp to try and track till five. That's stupid. But yeah, I like the structure approach, and I think it's improved my work in absolutely every area, which is cool.
0: I uh, used to do the unstructured, go-all-night thing. Fuck that.
1: It sucks, man. Life is so hard doing that.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's not good in my opinion. I think that when you're younger, you also have a lot of energy to pull that off, so you don't notice... Sometimes the amount of energy you have offsets how bad that is for productivity. But I think that people don't do well because of that kind of schedule. They do well despite that kind of schedule, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, great point. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty proven that creativity is a finite resource and it uh, it regenerates when you sleep and dream but it's uh you have the most of it in the morning. Yeah, right around when you wake up for those first 3 4 hours. That's that's peak time and uh after that it's it's not like you can't be creative, but you're not going to have another peak time in the day. Yeah. You just won't.
1: I uh, I totally agree and I feel it in my lifestyle too. I've started um very into my health lately something has come over me and suddenly it's a focus which is kind of cool because it's improved my It's a good thing. Yeah, it's improved my life in and out of the studio but definitely a lot in the studio my just everything is everything is better my energy levels are better throughout the day is better but uh, a big one is Waking up a little earlier, I also just moved to the Gold Coast in Australia, which is kind of cool because it's a city right on the beach. So I walk out of my front door and walk 100 metres and walk along the beach and just listen to music or a podcast or something in the morning. And life is so good. And at that moment, that is, like you're saying, where I am my most creative. And then I often find myself trying to like scurry along the beach and rush home, talk to my partner and be like, I can't talk, I've got to go, like, I've got this idea, I need to get out of here. And I'm at the studio just buzzing and ready to go in the morning like with vibrant ideas, as opposed to, like you said, when I was a little younger, there's been times where I'd sleep until like midday because I went to bed at 5am and I wake up and it takes me hours to feel any sort of goodness. Uh, And then I, yeah, slowly drag myself into a studio and wipe my eyes and try and create some sort of vibe. And then maybe by like 11pm, I might have some sort of subpar idea that I can work into something salvageable. (laughs) But yeah, obviously the prior statement is the better one. And I definitely feel it in my lifestyle.
0: What caused you to change it?
1: Uh, Mostly my brother. Shout out to my brother. He'd never listened to this. He's not a musician, but he's a a competitive bodybuilder, so not like me. Ah, (laughs) And he's just been drilling me since I was 18, being like, you got to go to the gym, you got to eat better, you got to just let me train you. And I finally succumbed to that. And to be fair, it's been a life, genuinely life-changing thing.
0: Has he been training you?
1: Yes. Yeah, which I'm not, I'm not meant to be in a gym. Like if you, if you saw me in real life, you'd be like, oh, you're six foot three and you could blow away on a windy day. You don't belong in the gym.
0: Maybe that means you do belong in the gym.
1: <laughs> yeah, true. I should be in the gym more so than anyone else. But he, he has been training me and it's been really good. Again, life changing in so many ways that I didn't expect either, which is cool.
0: How long have you been training for?
1: Uh, Since just before coronavirus, so probably six months now. It was really sad as well because it was like one month in and gyms closed and I was just on fire, so excited, then like that all the gyms were gone and I was like, all right, well, there goes that and I just tried to keep some sort of motivation throughout the whole period where gyms were closed, uh, which was hard but worked and still going now and, again, it's awesome. I, I genuinely think that my mind is better for writing now that I'm a healthier person, which is so unexpected but so awesome
0: i mean i think it totally goes hand in hand uh i I decided to take control of that about 18 months ago
1: and um, nice man
0: i'm like the sharpest i've ever been it's totally linked
1: it's awesome i think it's so that's exactly how i feel i'm like all right these are feeling like the best days i've ever had i gotta try and do something with these this is this is sick again as opposed to not sleeping and hardly eating and having a drink every now and then with the people I'm working with and just having basically the worst lifestyle that anyone could ever have and trying to live a really, do a really hard job <laughs> in those hours is, it just felt impossible. And it got to a point where I, th- I think um, it would have affected my sustainability doing this job, uh, which is a sad thought. I think it would be that way for a lot of people.
0: It is that way for a lot of people. They burn out. For things that are preventable, I think
1: Exactly, exactly it And I think that's really sad, man Like it's something that's so avoidable And you'd, it'd probably be better for your job Better for yourself Better for your, your brain Better for your body If you if you just sort of took control of that And I think that's something I, f- I feel like I wish that was something That was spoken a little bit more about In the music community Even though it's a weird one But it's so true that it's
0: We talk about it all the time on this podcast
1: Oh, nice <laughs> That's awesome, man That's sick
0: Yeah, you should listen to the one I did recently with Matt Halpern from Periphery, and uh, this comes up quite a bit. Nice. Uh, The little one with mastering engineer Brad Blackwood also. The thing is that Bad Lifestyle is something that pretty much goes hand-in-hand with music. But I think as a producer you kind of i mean you could have a really bad lifestyle but if you don't if you don't take care of that and you kind of match the lifestyle of your clients uh you're going to it's going to hurt you long term because the difference between you and them is they might for them the studio is kind of like a it's like a fantasy land yeah not vacation because they're working but You know, they might go home and go to like a regular job or if this is their job, they might go home and then sync their schedule to their wife or something like that. There's no rule that says that just because they like to stay up all night at the studio, that that's what they do when they're home. I think a lot of musicians that I've known behave one way in the studio and then behave another way when they're home. But if you behave like they do in the studio... For years and years and years and years and years, that shit will catch up to you for sure.
1: Yeah, that's the difference, isn't it? You've got to act that way for your entire working life, whereas they only have to act that way for like a month. And it's a lot easier yeah. to do it for a month.
0: Yes. So, yeah. So, what's so it's no big deal to yeah. like pull all nighters for a month when you're 23 and then go back to your life. And then two years later or one year later, do it again. It, that's not, it's not that big of a deal. You have to do it. You have to just have in, a schedule that you can sustain. Yeah, day in, day out. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's such a thing that would be overlooked by young dudes. that would be they're trying to live like that and then they're stuck. Like, I can't live like this. This isn't for me. And then they're, they're out of it. And they could have been this person filled with potential to do great things. But they're you know turned away because they just feel like they can't handle it when it's not even an aspect of the job. And if you control it, you could probably do your job five times better. Um, I have a couple of friends like yes. that at least. And uh, even... Don't we all? Yeah, exactly. And I think even to a point of just their productivity, which ultimately heavily affects people who are willing to work with you, if you're an unproductive person, no one's going to want to put their album in your hands, <laughs> full stop. So, yeah, it's it's definitely the, the health and music world go hand in hand if you're trying to do this, absolutely.
0: I don't know that many people who really do have their shit together who don't figure out a way to make this work. Most people I know who, I mean, look, this isn't going to work out for everybody. That's a fact. But man, I don't know that many people who I can honestly say had it together, worked really hard, stayed on top of their mental and physical health, were organized, were responsible, had a good attitude, and didn't End up making a career for themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That
0: doesn't happen. This reminds me of something that I used to notice when I was producing all the time or on tour. Uh, We would tour with these bands that are like veterans, but they weren't that big. Like, say that they're like, there's like five bands from a scene that was big 20 years ago, and four of them are like really big. And then there's other one exists still, but they like never graduated past this like lower level. And, but they're just as good as the bigger ones. And a lot of people will, on the outside will say, well, they just never got the shot they needed or, you know, things like that. But from observing how they behave, there's always, there's always a reason. Like you can always, once you get around those people, you, it like suddenly makes perfect sense why yeah. they never graduated. There's always something super dysfunctional going on uh, in how they relate to each other or how they approach business or in their work ethic. Uh, I very rarely have seen a situation where they truly just had bad luck. There's, uh, there's almost always like a reason that you can trace back for why shit did not work out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or didn't
0: advance further.
1: Absolutely, man. And it's the same with like, um, yeah, same in I guess probably every job that's ever existed, really. But I think it rings yeah. so true in something like this, where you ultimately have free reign over everything, and it's just it's up to you to to make it all work. You know, to to put the puzzle together and make the the picture clear and uh, hold it together. And Build something out of nothing. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, I don't I don't think that world can come together if there's chaos around it, and it seems like that's. That's true, which is good. At least I'm onto something.
0: <laughs> I agree that it's probably true in any job in the world, but the difference in music is that a lot of people like to fantasize about things like good luck and bad luck. They like to think about getting lucky or great things happening to them or getting screwed or all these like really dramatic things that I think in some other lines of work don't really enter into the scenario like getting lucky as a plumber uh, (laughs) what does that mean right
1: it's a great sentence
0: (laughs) I'm not saying that like there's not plumbers who got who like are very successful but it's just getting lucky is like part of the conversation about musicians and a lot of people will believe that people who got big got lucky or people who didn't got unlucky and it's pretty stupid belief in my opinion
1: yeah absolutely man absolutely and it's it rings true when you look at anyone who's hit like not anyone but I guess in 99.9% of people who have have succeeded in what they're doing behind them is like 10 years of figuring out what to do and what not to do and perfecting what to do and implementing it and keeping it steady and persisting through all the crap that comes with what they're doing and then eventually they make it and everyone's there like oh that's so lucky and it's like, man, I just just endured ten years of bad luck <laughs> just to get here.
0: There is one small element of luck, which is the luck that you met the right people.
1: Yes, for something totally. you know,
0: like that—that that you random. There's some people that you just meet that change your life, and it's by chance a lot of the time that mm. you guys happen to be in the same place at the same time. That that person was in the. In the right mental state to be open to you, yeah. Uh, th- that you know that somebody who you didn't know before knows you now and is uh, willing to willing to say yes. That uh, there's some luck to that, um, and also d- your music resonating with the public.
1: Yeah, that's the big one.
0: You can't control that, but 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 whether your music resonates or not. There's no luck involved with sustaining a career. That's uh, if your music resonates and you make mistakes, you're going to disappear.
1: Yeah, man. And I think there's the counter to both of those, isn't there? Like even with meeting people, I definitely have a few key people in my life that I've met and life changed massively after knowing them, which is awesome. Um, and not to take any credit away from them, but on the other end, if you if you meet that person and you're not in a a state of your life where you're ready for that opportunity, then it quickly goes from I met someone awesome and these could change my life to I met someone awesome and probably won't talk to them again, you know. Mm. There, there's definitely an area of sort of preparedness, whatever the the nice English word for that is, mm. that that comes with turning a, a nice little chance into a genuine opportunity. Mm. And like you're saying, in terms of sustainability and longevity as well, that's definitely something that... that you can't really put down to luck. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So even, yeah, I agree. Even when you meet that person there, it's not all luck either. Uh, if you're not ready, they're not going to just bestow you with a record deal <laughs> yeah, or something. Exactly. They're not going to just hire like hire you to produce a band that they, uh, that they do A&R for just for charity. Like, there, there's going to be a reason for why you get offered the record deal or the publishing deal or the tour or like any of that stuff. That's not luck. It's just there's there's the luck that that when you got introduced to the person, they were open to you, or that you met the person that knows them,
1: yeah, or something. Exactly, and then it's on you to make that luck turn into something. I guess.
0: Yeah, you put yourself in the in the right situation to have that happen in the first place.
1: Yeah and you can also make yourself a luckier person by simply being like exposing yourself to those situations you know I, again we 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 would all know tons of people who are so good at what they do in this this world of making music but they just don't get into the lucky situations because they spend their whole lives sitting in a bedroom, you know? (laughs) And it's like no matter how good you are, if you're you're not getting out and meeting people and talking to people and having conversations and putting yourself in uncomfortable and potentially weird uh, situations where you might get put on the spot and meet a certain person or get a certain job, you kind of can't really sit there and blame it all on luck, I don't think. If you've never left your bedroom studio but you can make a world-class sounding song and you never... Went through the effort of putting music out in your own name just to get yourself out there, or going to shows to meet people, or befriending people, or just yeah. There's there's a certain amount of laziness that you cannot put down to luck, isn't there? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing, man. Like I said, I just I know a specific few people in Australia who are so much better than me at at what I do, but they. Doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. They can't stick it. They can't make it happen.
0: And I had these roommates at Berkeley. these two dudes that I roomed with that were maybe some of the most talented people I had met up to date then. I mean, I've met some more talented people since. It was a while ago. But up to that point, they were in the top tier. They were way better at music than me. Like considerably better. They could have done anything. There was no thing that they couldn't do. They could play in any genre. They were awesome at any genre. They looked cool. They were smart. Like they were cool. Like all the stuff that you that you associate with a successful musician. But they were just fucking lazy. They were more interested in doing drugs than and playing video games than pursuing anything. And They literally did nothing, nothing with that talent. And uh, years went by and nothing, you know, nothing happened with them. And uh, I've known quite a few people like that. And those dudes were definitely better than me. They're better than most people. And they didn't even, they didn't even have like a local career. Like nothing happened whatsoever with their music. And it's 100% their fault.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Not that I could ever say that to these people, but yeah. No. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean,
0: I'm not going to tell these people <laughs> yeah. that. And I doubt they're 20 listening. 20 years
1: later trying to tell them. And
0: uh, if, they, if they are listening, dudes, you fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were good.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, it's a sad thought, isn't it? But it's also, I think it's a positive thing for a lot of people out there who I certainly felt this way where I was like, there's so many people better than me. There's no chance I'm going to be able to make it past them and get myself seen or heard or have, be that guy that people want to work with when they could just go down the road and work with this other guy who's 10 times better. Yet it has happened. It's
0: because there's more, like you said, there's more to it than just music.
1: Absolutely. so much more to it. A whole world of things to it. I think it's really motivating. I wish someone told me that like six years ago. That would have been awesome. But yeah, here we are. And I think it's a really good thing. I think that's one thing I really like about um, just this industry as a whole, that hard work definitely pays off. It's not a, it's definitely not a thing of born talent or this or that or some sort of child prodigy thing. Like if you're not there to work and not there to hustle, and you're not a, um, you know, a likable person, and you're you you could be lazy or you could be a bit of an asshole or you could be this or you could be that, and it'll just be a massive hurdle that you can't get over. Which I think is cool. I think I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and one other thing on to piggyback off that that i've noticed is you know how people say that this is a very oversaturated industry i'm not sure i believe that and the reason is that yes there are a lot of people who try to get in and who fuck around with it but there really aren't that many people who have all those qualities that we've been talking about like they are talented enough and they are likable enough and they do have the right work ethic, and they are mentally healthy enough, and they do put themselves out there enough, like, and they do turn things around quickly. Like all that stuff. there's not that many people actually who have all those qualities. It's a which is why you end up seeing the same people doing all the work. It's because they're very rare. So really, you're you're not competing against the hundreds of thousands of people that have Reaper or whatever. You know, you're know, you not competing against the, the ocean of bedroom producers. You're competing against a very, very, very small group of elite people, basically.
1: Yeah, that's the perfect way to put it, man. And yeah, I think exactly like you're saying, if this was, say it was 40 years ago, I think the people you're talking about who have... You know are checking all the boxes of of a good work ethic and a good personality, and you know just being a genuine, honest, likable person hard working and obviously has the the music skills to complement that because they are necessary at some point. I think they would have been the people that end up in you know in the the million dollar studios with the big consoles and this and that it's just in this day and age you can get away with not having some of that, which is quite nice, but I don't think it's massively oversaturated like you're saying with you know, the hundreds of thousands of people with a MacBook Air and a a Focusrite 2i2. I don't really see that as a thing just because it's not who you're quote-unquote competing against, exactly as you said.
0: Yeah. If you have those qualities, you're in a completely different
1: category. Absolutely, man. And if anything, I actually think it's kind of awesome just because now bands can bring in pre-pro, which is so sick. (laughs) Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. I agree.
1: Yeah. And thanks for the whole wondrous thing of technology. kind of like we were saying at the very start of this, I've been making albums with people on the other side of the world while there's a pandemic and it's illegal to leave our houses. So, you know, thank you, internet. It's sick.
0: (laughs) Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lama God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuggah, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix a song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes Everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. So I think you, you've got an interesting perspective due to your age because you grew up in the modern age. So, like, for instance, my generation has seen both. Like, when we grew up, there was none of this shit. But we were young enough when it switched over to be able to fully adapt. One generation up from me, I have a really hard time with it because they were, they were a little bit older when it switched over to where they were already kind of set in their ways. It all happened when... I was like a teenager or whatever. So it was pretty easy to, or early 20s, something like that. It was easy to make the shift. But um, I've always thought that the people who are born into it have the biggest advantage. Absolutely. Like, I I think it's cool to have the perspective of having known what the world was like before. Like, it's a cool thing that my generation understands um, because the world was very different. But I actually think that... The 25 and under generation who grew up in this shit uh, have an incredible advantage.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess it's like anything. Is if you were, you know, if up until recently we were all born walking on our hands and then after 30 years of walking on your hands, suddenly everyone started walking on their feet, it's going to be a little bit harder for those people that have been walking on their hands for like 30 or 40 years. Whereas if you're yeah. just born into it, it's kind of just all you know. It's natural and it's, it's good. Yeah,
0: so, I mean, do you even consider, like, big old-school studios? It sounds like you grew up with, like, an interface, logic. Like, you (laughs) grew up, like, when you were a kid, you were shown this modern way of doing things.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of interesting. Until really recently, if everyone has, like, their, their dream studio in their head. Um, and my dream studio has never involved, uh, like, a console or tape, obviously. Well, maybe not obviously, but, yeah, it's never involved either of those two things. It's always just been really... Really good conversion, really sick preamps, and that's kind of it. And then like a, a nice aesthetic setup with a big screen that I'm looking at right now that you can't see. That's that's
0: just a controller?
1: This one here? Yeah. This is an Audient ASP4816. It's actually really sick, but that's what I was getting to. So I moved into a new studio really recently, and it came with this. And this is kind of like the most old-school thing I've ever worked with just because it's it's a console. <laughs> and I never really <laughs> imagined working through one of those. But... It's kind of sick, but yeah. Even now, to, to answer your question, like, it is kind of interesting being brought into that, uh, like, born into that era. Because I never imagined myself working like this, and it's kind of it's so weird to get used to it. I feel like I'm going back in time, like going the opposite way. You are, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's kind of sick. It's kind of cool.
0: <laughs> so lots of the dudes who came up on that have had a hard time adapting to digital stuff it's interesting to hear you kind of have (laughs) the opposite thing where
1: it's so hard
0: (laughs) yeah because it's a whole different way of imagining and envisioning audio
1: yeah absolutely and just just so many funny things like the owner comes in now and then especially when we're doing drums just to sort of oversee things because it's like a new drum room for me everything's unfamiliar new console um and he sees me we go to start tracking drums and i'm like sweet let's dial in some nice sounds and i pull up like some sort of SSL channel and he's just there like you have things to work with in front of you you don't need to go for like the plugins instantly try and do some fun stuff and I'm like oh yeah this is kind of weird like I'm not really used to trying to do this stuff (laughs) but uh it's uh it's very cool it's very cool I'm liking it
0: what are you liking about it like I want to hear more about your perspective on starting to use older shit because it's it's interesting
1: it's half and half. Like I, it's gonna sound so dumb, but there is a just a feel good thing about sitting in front of this console and working on music. Like, it's. Well, yeah, it's. I always say like, it's. It sounds. I think that's
0: half. The, I think that's half the reason people like gear. Is yeah, It yeah. makes them feel cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, if I'm honest, I don't notice the. I don't really notice an obvious sonic difference. Like, I feel like I might, but it could also be placebo effects Just because I'm sitting in front of this and I'm like that. That sounds great, but it realistically it would probably sound very similar, if not identical, without this thing in the picture. But it is kind of sick. You know, it's cool watching meters go off. It's cool doing this. It's cool EQing on the way in through it. But I think most of it, I don't want to come off as, yeah, vain, but I think most of the the good thing about it is a feel-good thing.
0: <laughs> I agree. Um, and we've done lots of side-by-side ABs on Nail the Mix. Actually, we did one when we were in Australia nice. with uh, Forrester Savelle. Uh, legend. Um, yeah, he's a legend for sure. Mm. We did Carnival with him, and uh, we did it in an SSL room uh, with a bunch of outboard. He barely used any plugins on on his Nail the Mix, and we finished early. We had time, and so we were just like, you know what? Why don't we just shoot out this gear against the plug-in versions
1: that's awesome
0: they had the UAD versions of every unit that they had
1: nice
0: um and so the the objective was let's see if we can get it sound or he sees if he can get it sounding identical and the trick was not to put the knobs in the same place yeah just use use your ear but try to get it to sound identical and mission was accomplished like if you see that one it uh they do sound identical the like I said, the only difference is if you put the knobs in the same place, they're gonna sound different. If you just ignore what it looks like and go by sound, you won't be able to tell the difference.
1: Yeah. Well I'm sure if I yeah, if I had an SSL console and an SSL plugin, I'm sure if I boosted six D B of one K or something, you know, off the top of my head on both things, it's probably not gonna sound, you know, exactly the same. So it doesn't surprise not. me. But that is nice to know that you can do the exact same thing I'm pretty much entirely in the box I run like an option of two preamps on the way in pretty much and that's about it nice and simple and then everything's a fun challenge digitally you know I'd I'd ultimately like to get more equipment someday but I genuinely think it's a cool challenge to just track everything I've kind of stolen this from Taylor Larson, by the way, disclaimer. But I think it's a cool... He's great. Oh, he's brilliant, man. One of my my favorites. But I think it's it's a really cool challenge to just do as he says and check everything as clean and crystal clear as you can and then work in the box because it's 2020 and plugins are incredible. And if you don't have access to outboard gear, it's not an excuse to not have access to a good mix. You know, the only problem is you not being able to do it. (laughs) Sounded harsher than I intended, but...
0: (laughs) It's okay. It's the true is this though.
1: Harsh. Yeah, it's it's very true, man. And it's so so easy to be like if I had an eleven seventy-six and a Sony C eight hundred G, I could have the best vocal sound in the world. But you but know you it's won't. exactly. If you don't know what you're doing first and foremost, your stuff's always gonna suck. The problem probably starts with you. <laughs> it probably. Uh feel bad saying definitely. Say, the problem absolutely starts with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it does. That's why. Great producers and great mixers can do something on all stock plugins. and it still sounds fucking incredible.
1: Mm, absolutely. yeah.
0: I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that at some point. I've seen it happen. Um, and I've heard of it happening and I know it's I know it's real. Uh, the, you If you take a great mixer, strip away all the fancy gear, just give them the most basic stock shit their mix will still sound amazing because they are amazing
1: yeah absolutely man absolutely and that's what gives me confidence like you know it's a common thing where people are like what plugins did you use on this what settings were you using doesn't matter yeah I will happily tell people because it probably leads them further off the trail than you know some friendly (laughs) advice would have just saying it doesn't matter
0: (laughs) well so this is an interesting thing philosophically for me because of because of what URM does um, and it comes up with some people who are resistant to come on, like they feel weird about quote unquote, giving out their secrets. And
1: yeah, okay.
0: my argument always and forever, and I really do mean it is you're not giving away any secrets because you can't give your brain away. So it doesn't matter if people learn what settings you used on something, they still aren't in your head. So they don't understand the nuance. They can't. They can't hear the nuance the way you hear it. And they can't make decisions the way you do because Absolutely. they're not you. So so it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, exactly. Giving away the secret of what you did in one... In one scenario. One scenario of probably thousands. but like it's, it's not...
0: And, and it's not even the full thing because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of instinct involved and tastes involved and decisions that you make because... You have certain tendencies, and your tastes pull you somewhere that you can't really explain that to people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's there's a certain well, a large amount of just skill and intuition that makes you you, and I think that's awesome. And even it's sometimes even really annoying. Like uh, a good example is the Slaves album. We were using DI guitars, and there'd be songs where we'd have DI guitars for one song and another song, same guitar. Everything is exactly the same, but my damn guitar mix was not good in the second song, but it's good in the first. You know, like it's like context Mm -hmm. is everything as well. Like giving away that secret for that one guitar probably is never ever ever gonna work again. That's it's it's an interesting concept, and I'm sure some people do have some mind-boggling secrets that maybe I'm just yet to discover, and maybe I I mean
0: (laughs) yes, there there are a few. I mean, obviously, there's great techniques, right? So yeah. There's some stuff that, understandably, some people do want to hang on to. But in my opinion, that stuff is, like, the exception. Like, like if they do a Nail the Mix and we do an eight-hour session and they do, like, the whole thing, maybe sometimes there will be... One final thing in the mastering stage, they don't want to share. Fair enough.
1: Yeah, that's fine. You already
0: shared everything else, like Yeah. Whatever. Exactly. If you want to hang on to that. Hang on to that. And but and there's been some things that people have dropped, like uh, when Bo Shell dropped the uh, snare gating uh, or the bleed trick, like that spread like wildfire.
1: I watched that one actually. That was that was awesome. Yeah. That was really cool. That, that trick,
0: you know the one I'm talking about then.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And he does that, it's it's more of a common thing, but he does that reverse reverb thing, which is still so sick, just because that song is so good. It was the Silver String, right? Yes. Yeah, such a good song, man. So awesome.
0: And great vocalist. I love Anthony. Yeah, yeah.
1: great everything. and Almost frustratingly great because you start wishing that you were involved in some capacity, but you weren't. So you just have to watch. It <laughs> might afar. be one day. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day.
0: <laughs> maybe one day. But yeah, that that gating trick, uh, a bunch of pros started using it. You started seeing it on Nail the Mix more and more and more, and they all credited from his Nail the Mix or another Nail the Mix where somebody watched it and picked it up from that, and then. Now, it's something that's common in the vocabulary with all the students, too, where nobody was doing it before. So, yes, there are some techniques that just do make a big difference, so much so that like it becomes part of how people work. But still, knowing how to gate something or strip the bleed out isn't going to make you a great mixer. It's just teaching you how to solve one problem. That's it.
1: And I think that's so sick. And if someone, you know, if there was advice floating around that had my name attached to it and it was like this trick that Jimmy does frequently, I would be stoked. I think that's that's awesome, man. That's... Not a bad thing. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah.
0: We could influence like a a generation of mixers.
1: Exactly. That whole. And a bunch of pros. Yeah. And everyone's snare sounds sick now, thanks to me. I'd be like, you're you're welcome, guys. I'm like the godfather (laughs) of snares now. This is nice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like how you think about it. It's not, I don't see what the problem
1: is. And if I did give away, you know, say if that was me and I gave away that snare trick and suddenly. There was some guy who I was not related to in any capacity and suddenly he was stealing all my potential records. Power to him. That would be kind of impressive. You know, you almost deserve it at that point. If you got one trick and now you're taking all my work, like, nice.
0: I mean, if he got one trick and he's taking all your work...
1: He'd have to be incredible. There's a lot more going (laughs) on than that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. I'd be like, well, you know, not bad, well played.
0: (laughs) Well yeah, I mean it's again, it, you're there nobody's going to get work due to charity or just because there's always a reason for it. So if somebody comes along and starts mopping up everybody's bands or artists. That one trick you gave them isn't the reason. They would have done it with or without.
1: But if it was the reason like yeah, if well it, it just wouldn't be <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> Imagine every band in the scene is thinking I'd work with him. If he gated his snares like Bo, I would do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I but can't. since
0: he doesn't, <laughs> yeah, he won't.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait, he learned. Now we'll go with him.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should try
1: it. <laughs>
0: Get your snares like Bo.
1: I'll do it, and then, uh, then I'll come for all his clients. <laughs>
0: when you talk about it like this, it really does make it sound ridiculous. It I
1: does, think. absolutely, yeah. I don't think there's... Well, you know, I haven't been doing it for as long as a lot of people, so maybe it's unfair to say, but there's definitely not one thing in my work that defines the, the sound and the selling point, that's for sure. I feel like, if anything, actually, as a in the songwriting capacity that we were talking about earlier, I feel like, I wouldn't be scared of it, but I feel like that would be the biggest giveaway, seeing exactly how I've arranged these sessions, how I've arranged these backing vocals, the layers that I've gone for. And, yeah, what I do to, to fill gaps, what I do with atmosphere, what I do on impacts. like I feel like that the composition is almost, in my work, would be the biggest giveaway. But, again, if someone's like, hey, I'm going to do that thing that Jimmy did on that record, I'd be like, nice, dude. Let me know how it goes. That's sweet. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> I mean, they're still not going to... You could teach them all the techniques, but they're still not going to write what you wrote.
1: Exactly. And realistically... Everything that I, and I'm guessing most people do, no matter how good they are, is probably somewhat common knowledge by now. It's just they know how to execute it flawlessly.
0: Yes, there's an element of that for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's that many tricks that would be just completely groundbreaking. And it's like, this is going to change the production world forever. No one's ever heard of this, you know, let alone done it that way but yeah i think most of it would just be i execute this really well here's how i do it
0: which is very valuable i think
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: (laughs) yeah there's nothing like learning from somebody that's better than you i
1: think yeah totally well i think funnily enough if i look back on my like history um probably the biggest periods of growth i've gone through are after working with people in my own band like, if I think back to sort of day one, before I really knew what I was doing, and I did my first song with my first band, I was like, this guy's like the the real deal. He was working out of his bedroom at the time. He's awesome now. He's actually doing really well. But he was working out of his bedroom at the time, and I was like, this guy's like the real deal. This stuff sounds so sick. I'm going to learn how to do this. And I just...
0: You could just tell he was... He had it going on even before... Before he had a career.
1: Yeah, and I was like 17 as well, so I was a bit easily impressed. (laughs) But I was like, this is sick. Well, he was sick relative to your level. Absolutely. That's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. And then, you know, when I was, I think, 18 or 19, I did like my first sort of real studio thing at a place called Electric Sun in Sydney with a guy named Dave Petrovic. He's done awesome things like Tonight Alive, he's like the mastermind behind them, and like Northlane one of their albums from a while ago. But yeah, he's awesome and we worked with him and that was like a big turning point for me. He was using Reaper as well, so I was like, again, I was like, Reaper's sick, (laughs) Reaper's the way to go. And um, he just made it seem so... He had this really logical approach to music and I was like, it seems so easy the way he puts it all together and makes it sound good. So I went home again and had this sort of just avalanche of ideas come to my head of how I can get into producing and use the plugins he was using and do this and do that. And then same deal, a few years later, I was in a new band and we started touring internationally and I got to see what some cool musicians do, but the big one uh, was Taylor, working with Taylor Larson and seeing how he works. And he just had this unique approach. And He's I, brilliant. Uh, he's annoyingly good, man. I can't stand it. We, uh, <laughs> my band did a, a record, two records with him. And then following that, this year we've started just using me to produce, mix and master, and it is the most daunting thing, man, that someone's going through our Spotify and like listening to song after song after song, and it all sounds brilliant. And then something by me comes on, and I'm just there's this thought in my head that's like just this drastic drop in quality and expertise in the music. <laughs> but I'm hoping that's uh, that it's not audible, at least to the consumer. You know, it's just in your head. Yeah, hopefully, and maybe a couple of you know, maybe there's other mix engineers out there that are like, this sounds like. You know, a subpar Taylor mix.
0: <laughs> well, the thankfully, the style of music you make actually has fans. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, n- n- Not just engineers.
1: Exactly, yeah. We're trying to impress people that don't play music, which is, I think, a yeah. really good thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, again, I've digressed so far that I forgot what the point was.
0: You're talking about learning from... Learning from people.
1: Yeah, my biggest growth periods have been from like right after I've worked with someone new and see how they, seen how they approach things and how they tackle things. And what was cool about Taylor, a big one, was how digital his whole process was, like how massive and analog it sounds, but how digital his approach was. And that was just the the coolest thing, man. I was like, this is suddenly this whole world of great sounding music is way more possible and. That was awesome. and yeah, I guess that's that's what brings in the credibility, credibility of now the Mix as well like it's exactly it's exactly that, but more in depth, which is awesome, and with so many different people.
0: yeah, it's kind of it's something that I couldn't even imagine when I was learning how to do
1: it, couldn't
0: even fathom something like that existing would have killed for it?
1: It's incredible, man. It's, sadly i haven't even I haven't really delved too far into it. There's a few that I've watched. The you know Bo's one being one and Taylor's one I'll hook you up
0: if you want access
1: that would be awesome man I'd love that it's one of those things like every every time it comes up I'm like I need to watch that I'm a huge fan of this guy I'd love to love to see you know be a fly on the wall and see how he works and I'm like I'll do that
0: honestly you're not really the target market (laughs) I have this conversation pretty often on the podcast where lots of times people will actually feel bad that they haven't really watched it and it's like Dude, you're not... Of course, you didn't watch it. You're busy making records.
1: Exactly. Well, that's it. I'm always like, I genuinely could benefit from this. I'll do it on my next day off. And then that next day off either doesn't come or when it comes, I'm like, the last thing I want to do right now is think about audio. Of course. Like, I want silence and I want a clear head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things, man. It's hard to to get to.
0: Man, that's why when uh, URM students get to that point they leave because they got too busy. That's, like, the best thing.
1: Absolutely. That's, well, I guess it's what well, you're that's trying what to do. That's what should happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'd be, you know, a bit sad if that was the goal, to be watching and competing and nail the mix until you're 80 and you're never busy and that's <laughs> that's the end of your career.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's obviously I don't want to lose
1: customers. Yeah. But
0: if there was ever the right reason, that's the right reason. That's what I want for them.
1: That's an interesting conversation point, I reckon, is is being so good at your job that you're going to lose customers. Do you ever, you ever think about that?
0: I have thought about it um, and went forward anyways. There's all totally. kinds of fears like that. Yeah. Put yourself out of a job or what have we run out of bands or blah, blah, blah. But I, I felt that way years ago and still here.
1: Nice. <laughs> Vote of confidence. But uh, I feel like that comes up relatively frequently. And I think it's kind of not accurate, as again, I'm saying Correct. kind of not accurate, but I think it's so backwards like, you know, if anything all it's doing is just bringing like the ultimate credibility to your your work and what you do and if people come in and they work with you for a little bit or they're paying or subscribing to you and they succeed and they're like, sweet I don't actually need you anymore, surely that's going to brew like, even, even if you were being strictly business and financial with it, surely that's just going to bring like 15 more people that heard of their story and, and directed them your way. I don't really believe that it could ever be a thing of like i don't want to lose this customer because i've taught them so well i need to keep like milking them (laughs) for as long as i can because they're like my only one you know it's just it's the it's a really poor business model
0: (laughs) yeah i want there to be a turnover in the community and to me if there's people i don't know in it we've done a good job that's how it should be yeah yeah there's a whole there's a whole like lot of people that I' don't recognize in there right now i think it's the same with production a lot of people do get worried about other people taking their work in my opinion uh yeah poaching happens of course but it's not so if you're good and people love what you do it's not you shouldn't worry about it
1: mm, totally like you said they don't have your brain I think that's the the biggest thing that like, they could be able to make a great sounding record but they aren't you, and that's a really good thing for you and for them. Like, it's not a bad thing for them that they can't be you. They can be themselves and do their own thing. And that's an, another thing you'll obviously be able to tell that I kind of worship Taylor for this. But he's always talking about that is about having your own sound and being your own, your own thing. People, which are always,
0: he certainly does.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. You hear it, you hear his work, and you know it's his instantly. And it's a good thing. It's awesome. Um, and I think that's one of the most positive things to sort of learn and, and get adjusted to is that you're not that person and that's a really good thing for you, which is kind of hard to imagine, but it's good. It helps.
0: Yeah. And I mean, say you lose a project to somebody else, it, it's not that big of a deal, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, it's going to oh, happen again. There's more projects. <laughs> it is, it's It's going to happen and it's in the life cycle of the relationship of a producer and an artist or a mixer and an artist that at some point generally the artist is going to want to try something different. I mean, yeah, sometimes there's situations where an artist and a producer stick together for every album. It happens, but I I think that's pretty rare. I think at some point the artist will feel like they've kind of exhausted the relationship, which is fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I actually have had this conversation quite a bit with people and I'm always like, I, if you do come back, like, sweet, that's so awesome. I'm excited to work with you. If you don't, just go to someone who's good. I'm like, the only reason I would be offended is if you go to someone and I'm like, oh, this person's not good. <laughs> you just, you just made the yeah. wrong choice. Now, like, even if you want to involve me in finding an option that is not me, I'll help. That that's cool. Just uh, just know who to avoid and who to trust. <laughs> it's a good thing. How did you get your ego out of the way? It's a hard thing. Well, again, that's something I've gone through this year. I lost a couple of jobs throughout the whole year, which it's it's hard to look at this way, but that's a good number. Like, that's okay. Considering the amount of jobs that have worked out and done well, losing two is not bad. No. And it's a really hard thing to not let your ego get in the way. And I feel like the key thing is to not lose that cool of yours. Which is really hard. It's like the biggest, the biggest challenge I think I've ever faced. To not lose what? To not lose your your cool. You know, to not let your ego get in the way okay. and to not get stung too hard, and to be good throughout it because it will always pay off. And surely everyone, myself included, has lost that sense of cool and been like, "Okay, get out of here. You're on your own. Like, go. <laughs> good luck out in the world." But I think as I, it's it's proven. I've had clients before where they're like, "Oh, we're going to go elsewhere," and I'm like, "Sweet." where, like, what are you, who are you going to? And we have a good chat about it. And I'm like, that's, if it's someone great, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I know that person's work; They're sick. You're going to love that. And I think maybe what keeps my ego out, out of the way, I don't really know. I've never really thought about it like that, but I guess it would probably just be that I have other work to look forward to, and that's a good thing. And maybe I look forward to hearing their work with said person who I think is going to do an awesome job, and I'm excited for them and excited for that. Uh, again, I've never really thought about it, and that tr- sounds like I'm just trying to be like, great dude jimmy but (laughs) just to stab in the dark i'm guessing that that's what was going through my head
0: like i remember a band uh went to putney after me and i was like cool
1: it's gonna be great (laughs) exactly man if someone went to putney after me i'd be like damn you're you're in the the big leagues now have fun man that's it congratulations
0: how can you blame them you know
1: exactly but if someone works with me and then he's like a friend he started recording bands, and we're going to do it through him. And I have to be that guy that's like, you, it's your choice to make, but trust me, just come and do it with me. Like I will, I'll look after you. We'll do whatever we need to do to make it work, but the direction you're heading is full of sadness. That's not a good one.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's just <laughs> that's just looking out for them.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's exactly, yeah. Because
0: that never turns out well. Uh, I've uh, definitely encountered that scenario. But usually it's not because they're sick of... The producer usually when they uh, leave a good producer to go to their friend, they're trying to save money.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, sorry, this just entered my head, but I guess probably the main thing that would make me not feel, you know, a massive hit to the ego if someone goes elsewhere from me is probably the fact that I've done that to producers too and that there was never a bit of ill intent in my mind at that person to do no, that. No, you just
0: wanted something else.
1: Yeah, and there's so many reasons it could be, but you know, I've the the reason has never been something remotely close to I don't want to work with that person again. It's it's not been that ever.
0: I've only had that once.
1: Really? Yeah. How did how did it feel?
0: <laughs> well, this person was extremely fucked up.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Like Very uh, verbally abusive, damn, uh, inefficient, like super slow, subpar experience. And so, yeah, my whole band was like, never work with this fucker again. But that's the only time i've ever felt that way the other times it's just been like i want to work with someone else
1: exactly i just want to yeah. yeah i think this person could do a good job or i'm excited about this or i want to explore this yeah. and it's the same in reverse like it, again i think that's where the key is to not lose your cool because there's probably not any you know bad blood there they probably just want to go and explore something else and that's fine mm-hmm. i i think equally to saying that though that's that's a good point because I've had a couple of clients who are like that in the last twelve months. I say a couple, and I think it's probably just been one that is bordering on verbally abusive, like just so condescending, so rude. And at a certain point, I hit a, a you know I hit a wall where I'm like, okay, and I try and keep my cool, and I'm like, it's we can't work together. This is not me. It's not anything, you know, about the music. It's just we personally are not a good match, and I think that's also something that should be recognised as fine. It's not an easy conversation to have by any means, but there are music is a personal thing, and if you're clashing, it's not going to work. It's going to be hell yeah. for both of you. Like, I'm saving this person the hassle of trying to deal with me, plus me dealing with them.
0: <laughs> you just reminded me of a nightmare. Client I had <laughs> in like 2005. Yep, There was this girl, uh, she had a black metal band and uh she was in the Atlanta scene. I'm from Atlanta. She was like, I knew her since high school and she always kind of sucked. She was always trying to like have <laughs> bands and, and like, she was a very, very rough person. Like, a lot, very angry, quick to like, quick to freak out. Not good at music, like just kind of a rough (laughs) whole package. Yeah, rough human being, but I hadn't seen her in years. Like I had done some like well-known underground death metal bands, and so she wanted to record with me. And like you know, when you haven't seen someone in years, you kind of, unless they did something so horrific, you kind of don't remember. You don't even really remember. So I didn't even think about it. So I took a down payment and started working on the schedule. And right then and there, it started getting bad. So I was like, I'd like to take six to eight hours to get drum sounds. We'll try to track three songs on day two, three songs on day three. And I had the whole thing laid out. And I got this email back that was like, anybody that takes longer than two hours to get drum sounds is a scammer. And you're scamming us. That that's how we started, and then uh, yeah, it's just fighting me on everything. And we made it to drums. She brought in this session drummer guy, and uh, he kept calling me Monkey Boy. And uh, yeah, he kept <laughs> on like like I would say like do that again. He's like okay, Monkey Boy, or I, he'd be like play that back, Monkey Boy. He was just kept saying that, and. That lasted one hour before I kicked them. Like
1: great choice. I, I
0: lasted one hour into the session, and then I kicked them out. <laughs> wow, man! Damn. Deleted their shit.
1: Good <laughs> yeah. choice. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You just couldn't handle it. It's and it's the earlier you do it, the better. One hundred percent. it's dude, it felt so good. Oh, totally, totally. And yeah,
0: because when she started sending me the fucked up emails, like you're a scammer and blah blah blah, I know how this is done. It's like. Maybe she's in a bad mood.
1: Yeah, having a real bad day, worst day of her but life. Yeah, like
0: <laughs> maybe her dog got hit by a car. Who knows? Like, yeah, maybe it's just maybe she just got scammed. <laughs> yeah, but she was being like that too when uh, we started, and she brought her soulmate, obviously that drummer. So it, it was just like, no, the, it are if this is how it started, fuck going any further with this.
1: Monkey. No boy. Way. Why is that so Monkey. offensive? That's the. Yeah. It's, that's weird.
0: Imagine someone that you're trying to work with. You're trying to like make them sound good and have a rapport and work with them. And they're just like constantly insulting you.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Why, why would you do it? I don't think I'd last much longer than an hour either. They'd have to go. Like, that's, and that's the learning curve, isn't it, though? That no. So I feel like if I was a little younger and had le- a little less work, there's not really. M- there's not really a line that can be crossed because I was always like, "Well, it's good. I've got time I can fill, and you know, there's payments I can I can take, and life is good. Like I'm I'm working. I'm booked, and that's the ultimate goal. But I feel like you quickly learn after an experience or two like that that there is not really amount of an amount of time or money that's realistic that is going to cover just the mental toll of working with someone like that, working with someone where you clash that badly. It, just can't be done. There's not a way to make it work.
0: You have to have boundaries and self-respect, and it it kind of wears your self-respect if you're willing to let someone treat you like that.
1: Yeah, that's the way to put it. That's perfect.
0: You were telling me that so you were having an issue with a client that was being kind of like that towards you.
1: Yeah, just sort of pretty, um, you know, it's just the usual, nothing awful, but just in general condescending pretty much just tells you everything about how your job should be done and how you're not doing it right and how it needs to be done. Obviously, this person has only ever recorded with me, so they have no no experience to base that off. But, um, yeah, it, and it just... In a mean way
0: or just a know-it-all?
1: It, both.
0: Oh, the, be- the, best, the best combination, a mean know-it-all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I guess more so from a know-it-all uh, point, but I... It got to a point where I was like, I genuinely think this person is like a bit delusional. Like, it gets so far from a point of sense that it's kind of like this can't, this can't be normal. Um, like, this can't be a healthy mind acting like this. And it just got to a point where I was like, this. It this was the civil conversation. Actually, it was really awesome, and I basically laid it all out, nice and stern, but as polite as I could. And was like, this is not working. We are not a good fit for each other, and that's fine. Like, it's not a, it's not the end of the world. Obviously. It's going to mean a bit of a time delay for you if you're in a rush because we're going to have to find someone else. But if you like, I'll help you. We'll find someone who's more suited to you and uh, that'll be that. Like, we'll make it work. And all was well. Um, And this was after making a record. And then this, yeah, this was after making a record during mixing. (laughs) And then obviously that person takes off. I send them all multi-checks.
0: How did they react?
1: Pretty well from memory. This is going back so a little while. So they probably now. agreed. Yeah, totally. I think I think it's hard not to if they're that unhappy that they're insulting to you and then you approach them calmly with
0: In the in the situation I told you about, she did not react well.
1: Oh, really?
0: She did, Yeah, I think she's crazy. Yeah, yeah I, totally. She, totally. Yeah, sounds to me like in your situation, you guys were just not a good fit, but it's not like He was evil or something.
1: Yeah, no, they weren't the worst person in the world. Yeah. That's for sure. It was just their working style and approach and speaking style, like communication style, did not sit well with me. Um, And it Mm -hmm. was like constantly offensive without being like, you know, name calling or this or that. It wasn't directly offensive, but it was just constantly... Yeah. Yeah, offensive and condescending and just the worst job ever. So I was like, this isn't worth it. That was the first time ever that I'd got to the point where I was like this isn't worth it getting the payment isn't worth it having my name on this project isn't worth it it's not working for me so yeah approached them with uh with that whole thing and of course sent them off with multi-tracks and all was well and multi-tracks in pro tools for an album takes a while so that took a long time and I was like it's fine I'll take care of that for you and I'll I'll prepare it all for you everything's neat everything's edited here's everything you need and then naturally one month later they're back being like I really liked working with you I really love your work please can we finish the album together and I had to be that guy that was like no I can't I can't do it but of course you know you it's it's always what happens they're so unhappy until they don't have you to sort of carry all their ideas and make their stupid ideas work and they, <laughs> they realize that you haven't been the devil after all and that you've actually been really easy to work with and uh you have to be that guy that's like, sorry, I can't do it.
0: You know, it's, uh, I completely agree that um, when you're parting ways with somebody, uh, whether they initiate or you initiate, you should be classy and professional about it because, okay, so in this scenario where you're the one who parted ways, yeah, sure. You don't want them to come back. That's why you got rid of them in the first place. However, Sometimes when it's flipped around, say the band leaves, who's to say they're not coming back on the next record? That happens all the time. That bands go to someone else and realize they actually prefer the original person yeah, they're working with.
1: Totally, that
0: that happens every day. So yeah, that's a normal scenario. However, if they go to someone else and you're a bitch about it and make it dramatic and make it weird, they're not. You're sealing. You're sealing the. your own fate right there they're not going to come back
1: and the thing like one of my biggest fears weirdly enough is just people circulating that i suck to work with that i'm an unpleasant person i feel like that that's for some reason scares me more than people thinking i'm not good at my job is that i'm a genuinely bad person
0: that's like uh the quickest way to sink your own ship is to have that reputation
1: Exactly, and sometimes it's hard. Like there was this one instance this year where it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I wasn't terrible, but I lost my cool a little bit. And to this day, I'm like, "Damn, Jimmy! Like, you really didn't handle that well." It wasn't it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't like you said. It wasn't classy and controlled. I gave in to the temptation of sarcasm and dryness, but. Um it's the learning experience sometimes, as well. Like,
0: sometimes it gets the best of us.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. You're you're human and it happens and it's kind of an isol, well, it is an isol a very isolated incident, which I'm proud to say. <laughs> but yeah, and it's good though, because I feel like after doing that now I'm like, it wasn't even bad, but I it leaves such a sour taste in my mouth, and the sour taste is from myself. So I'm like, I can't I can't behave like that ever again. You know, that's that's a line that cannot be crossed. And it's it's good to learn that. It's a a good sort of boundary to to know and to cross, and then to set for yourself. I think.
0: So this person I told you about that my band never wanted to work with again. Like he was pretty good, wasn't like top tier, but I'd I'd say in metal, I, what's the grading system like in Australia? Do you guys get Bs and As yes. and Cs and D? Okay, yeah, I call him a solid B.
1: That's pretty you know? good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Maybe a b minus or something
1: <laughs> maybe j was maybe b was generous
0: <laughs> no well it depend it it varied it went it fluctuated between b and b minus mm, still that's pretty good it is still good, not the best, still good, good enough to have a career for sure um there are plenty of not of like one tier under top bands who. He was perfect for. Nice. And I'm not saying this in a condescending way at all.
1: Like, Oh, no, that's a compliment. That, if someone said that about yeah. me, I'd be saying thank you. <laughs> yeah, like
0: uh, not everybody can be CLA or whatever. So, exactly. Or Andy Andy Sneap or whatnot. Like that, so this guy was set up to have a real career, and he fucked around with us, and then the same story started happening with a bunch of other bands, like Verbally Abusive. Taking forever to get shit done, like inconsistent mixes. Some are good, some are bad. Like it's just the same story over and over and over. And like I watched him sink his own career, and it was that reputation thing. Like the, yeah. that word about him just started to spread. From for you hear musicians that you didn't even know knew him just talk about it, and then like some A and R guy at some other label. Brings it up and just and and then nobody works with that person anymore.
1: Totally, yeah. And then a band like you're saying goes to their label and is like, "We want this amount of money because we want to work with this person." And the label's like, "Sorry, we don't. We don't work with him." Yeah,
0: yeah. We we don't want to waste our money on a record we're never gonna get.
1: Exactly, and that that thought is so scary, man. Like to me, that you know the the thought of someone going to their friend and being like, hey, you know that Jibby guy you worked with? How was he? And they say, honestly, like... Sucked. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if they were like, honestly, like, you know, the music sort of lacked a little. It wasn't what we were hoping for. Or like, we weren't so stoked on the mix. But as a dude, he was great. Like, everything was punctual. The studio experience was fun. It was awesome. And uh, he did everything he could. He's like, it's just the... What we left with wasn't really what we wanted. I don't really mind that. Obviously, I'm not like, yay, that's great. Because it's not great. But... That, to me, isn't that bad. But if someone was like, dude, that record you did sounds so sick. What was it like working with Jimmy? And they were like, avoid, him, avoid him at all costs. Like, do not go that Yeah, the music's good, but it's not worth it. I'm terrified of being that guy.
0: <laughs> I know a multi-platinum producer It's kind of on the older side, done some very big stuff that has that reputation for just... It's not worth the psychological toll to work with him, and bands don't go back. It, he's had he's some big hits so bands go to him for the first time not realizing what they're getting themselves into or thinking that they're somehow immune they've heard the stories but they think that it's not going to apply to them and then they go and and they're traumatized and almost break up and their relationship with each other gets like permanently fucked up by it because this this dude's a major manipulator that really really fucks with bands heads and uh and they don't go back so again he only has a career because some of the stuff he did was successful but not because of repeat shit so sometimes i think you can get big enough to where you can overcome a bad reputation to a degree
1: yeah it'll still still affect you but you can you can keep working
0: it still affects you though cuz he he's not as big as he should be he's great he should definitely be bigger, but so. But bands don't go back because working with him is a fucking dramatic experience.
1: Yeah, damn it. See, this is where I wish this wasn't a podcast and this was just a conversation so I could be like, dude, who? <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll tell you after.
1: Yeah, nice, no, sweet. That's great. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'll tell you after.
1: Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's... It, a- uh,
0: yeah, I, I actually, I'm sure that some people know who I'm talking about because they've worked with him. But uh, man, having a good reputation is everything in my opinion. I agree. I almost feel like the music side is a, should be a given, right? Yeah. Like, it should be a given that you know what you're doing.
1: Totally. Well, yeah, if I approach someone, or well, if someone approached me about doing a record, I'm sure it would be more to establish a communication and see how we how we gel together more than, you know, how can I tell them what I can do musically? They just have to go off previous work or go off good faith. But... I can have a conversation with them, and they can judge my character, which is fine. And totally, I think I think it should just be expected that you're good at your job, and your job will, you know, will suffice.
0: (laughs) I mean, they're probably not going to talk to you in the first place if you're. It's like, why would they talk to you if the music side wasn't there?
1: Yeah, but no one's going to reach out like, hey, you kind of suck, but we're still tempted. Can you convince us?
0: Yeah, no, no, it doesn't work that way.
1: Not going to happen. It's true. That's a really good point.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, so I kind of, so in my opinion, the, like I said, I just think that should be the given. But I do agree that 90% is good, but 100% cool is way better than like not that cool, but like 10% better.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Every every time I think that equation works out better and even if it doesn't for work like I would rather if someone came up to you and was like hey man you should put Jimmy Alexander on this podcast and you were like no I hate that guy I'd be so upset but if you were like oh (laughs) no his his work just doesn't really cut it you know all the best to him though I I would be far less sad by that response and that goes for anyone on this on this earth if they were saying that about me it's fine until I'm you know I'm disliked as a person disliked by my character, that sucks.
0: Like, is that because um, you know how this business works? I don't... I, or it's just like a genuine, like, human thing. Like, you just don't want to be disliked.
1: I think it's a personal thing. Like, I'm not obsessed with being... Man, I feel like Michael Scott off The Office trying to say this sentence because it's really close to something I've never seen The Office. Said. Oh, no way, man. That's sad. <laughs> you got to get on it. Well, I mean, <laughs>
0: I've watched it and been like, why am I watching? That this?
1: face says says it all. I feel that yeah. way sometimes too, but I love it. <laughs> I just can't um, relate. But yeah, it's not like necessarily a thing where I'm I need to be liked by people. It's just I don't want to be disliked. I don't yeah. know why. Like I, I, I take that as a an important thing. If people are neutral, that's that's totally cool. But if someone has something negative to say about me, it, like it keeps me up at night. It affects me for some reason. Um, but maybe that's a good thing. Probably a
0: good thing to some degree, because it's it is survival.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely not a compulsive thing where, you know, I heard one person doesn't like me, so it's my active mission to reach out to them and sort it out and tell them I'm a good guy <laughs> or something. <laughs> but it's just it's a very yeah an unpleasant thing to me if someone feels negatively about me for whatever reason, especially if it's true. I'm like, damn, I judge myself of that.
0: I understand. I've kind of accepted being controversial. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I wasn't cool with it for a long time, but something happened in the past few years where I just, like, I came to a peaceful place about the idea that some people are going to fucking hate me for what I do, and there's no way out of that because they're going to fundamentally disagree with everything I'm about uh, because there's some people who don't believe that, some people believe that what we're doing is like actually like immoral.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Actually. Now that yeah, you put it Yeah. So like,
0: that. like they fu- like they do believe we're taking jobs away from people, and that we are giving the secrets away, and that we are scamming people or whatever. And they really do believe it. So if they really do believe it, what there's nothing I can really do to change that, and it is what it is. So there are going to be some people in life that just don't like you or just don't agree with what you stand for and um what are you gonna do such is life
1: yeah that's a good point i think mostly now that you put it that way because i think about that and i'm like yeah that that doesn't bother me too much i think it's mostly like we were saying if what they were saying was true like if they were Ah, like i hate this dude because of when he did this that's the kind of thing where i'd be driving along and i'd like Think uh, before, so yeah. if so
0: it was if you fucked up and you knew you fucked yeah, up and yeah. you knew they were right, not if it's like this person just. There's seven billion people on Earth. It's impossible that everyone's gonna like what you stand for.
1: Totally, this yeah. person
0: is in that category of people who don't like what I stand for.
1: Yeah, so he hates me. Absolutely, the but end. yeah. If it's something I've done. Yeah, that's yeah. when it sucks. That's like when I'm like in the shower, like washing my hair and smiling, and life is good. I Think of something funny, have a laugh, and then I remember that I did out something crying. sucky, and I'm like, oh, and my whole day is ruined. I'm like, I forgot. I'm not. A, I, I suck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not allowed to smile.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's that what it does. That one thing you did. You know, that yeah, one thing you did. You have that like <laughs> that feeling forever. Come back. You like have a little laugh, and then you you. You try and still smile with your mouth, but your your eyes are sad because it's true. Man, I
0: I hate that shit because sometimes I'll think about, like, the thought will come in from something that I did when I was, like, 20 Yeah, or or totally. Like, from years ago, and, and I, it's, like, an automatic thing, so I almost feel like it's, like, putting yourself in a trance when you start playing back something that happened and... Where you said that stupid fucking thing that you shouldn't have, or you react in a way you shouldn't have. Start playing it back like it's a movie in your head. Yeah. You kinda trance yourself out, like lose sight of your environment. Like you really do go into this tunnel vision thing. And I've noticed that, like, I snap myself out of it. That's and I'm like, yo, stop! You're like, you're you're going down this this path that's not good. Why are you thinking about this thing from? <laughs> Yeah. Fifteen years ago or whatever. But because I think it's like an automatic thing and you are trancing yourself out. It's very easy and natural to just play it out and get uh, carried away.
1: Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? You like just you you get carried away thinking of exactly this stupid thing you did when you were a teenager and you're like, why did I even do that? And then you start judging yourself and you're just spoiling your own day (laughs) like
0: how different is that than being creative because isn't it a similar sort of thing when you come up with an idea like you lose sight of the world around you you go with this idea the idea grows you start acting on it it affects your mood you probably get more confident like all like the exact opposite right
1: i wonder if um if like creatives are more prone to doing those things you know just relishing in memories because you live in that state?
0: Well, yeah, I think that the more creative you are or the more intelligent you are, you know, the more RPMs your brain is operating at. And so it's going to be creating more often. It's not just going to be creating when you sit down to work. It's going to be creating when you're in the shower. It's going to be creating whenever. And so uh, sometimes you have to treat it like it's a high-powered weapon and not let it start creating bad shit just like, uh, just going wild basically. So, I That's do think that point. I do think it's comes with being creative. That, uh, yeah, it's not like you can just turn it off, you know?
1: Yeah, well said, man. This is this is good. You're a good guy to talk to. I kind of wish I've Thanks. done this before and done it more often. <laughs> yeah, like I'll, I'll send you, I'll, like
0: I said, I'll send you the invoice later. Nice,
1: I'll book another session. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I do think that there's a price to be paid for being creative. Like, um, But I'm, that's not to say that non-creative people don't torture themselves. I just think that creative people torture themselves in more creative ways.
1: Yeah, that's good too. Man, you're, f- you're full of these... Just <laughs> you're like an oracle just spitting out these <laughs> wisdom. But it's true. Even... And I've kind of done that my whole life when I think about it. Like I think back to being 13 years old and playing acoustic guitar and singing. All I wanted to do for so long... I was not into rock music um, that much throughout my, like, my teenage years or at least the earlier teenage years. I was just really into sort of singer-songwriters and my my life's goal literally was just to move to London and be cold, wear jackets and play acoustic guitar and sing sad songs about love and heartbreak and like smoke hand-rolled cigarettes or something artsy. And I literally dwelled in that state of like pretentious sadness because it was kind of the lifestyle <laughs> associated with that music. And to write songs, it's almost like that's the the emotion and the state that you kind of have to dwell in.
0: Almost like an actor does.
1: Yeah, like method acting to to bring that side out of you. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a really interesting thing, yeah. Like beat yourself up to get get the emotion happening so you can write about it and do what you like to do. To so, I
0: wanted to talk to you about your writing, so I think this is a perfect time to go into that because I wanted to...
1: Nice. Good segue. Uh,
0: yeah, I wanted to find out more about your headspace and writing, so I want to hear more about that. So for you, in order to write, you had to put yourself in a certain sort of state of mind, basically?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I wish I could be one of those people that was like, I do like psychedelic drugs or, yeah, or like I do this cool thing like like eat shrooms or something and go on a wild trip or I dream in songs but it's nothing cool. I just have to vibe and uh, that's such a vague word which is kind of annoying but I just have to be able to get my. I can, I can kind of control it too. It's not like this God-earned thing that is bestowed upon me at certain points of the day or something. Like if Like If I just have a little bit of time to be alone either have silence or listen to something that inspires me and just kind of drown noise out with that and think clearly i can kind of get into i I, weirdly enough i believe that creativity is a skill not a gift and if you nurture it and work on it and you know refine it you can become more creative it's kind of a common thought but still i'm there to endorse it
0: i think it's uh, the talent part is the gift, like yes. how far you how far you can go with it. But the actual the actual uh, execution of it is a skill.
1: Exactly. Yeah. If you wait around for when those, I've done that. I'm sure everyone has. You wait around for that creative yeah. thing to wash over you like a wave, and it comes like once every three weeks. And then before you know it, you're that dude that does like half a song over the course of four months and then a new idea comes and it's been three years and you have no songs.
0: Man, I used to write this article. Uh, I mean, I used to write a blog for a site called Metal Sucks. was a long time ago. And I wrote one about this, that if you want to be a great writer, you have to write all the time. You can't wait for inspiration because if you wait for inspiration, you're not going to write enough to get past the bad ideas. So you're gonna if you only write when you're at like a peak of inspiration it's just going to be so sporadic that like i said you're not going to do it enough to get good like you have to do it a lot to get good
1: yeah it's a it's a thing that you you actively work on and i i've noticed it like if i go a long time without writing something i progressively get worse at writing and not just in general like if i don't write a song for my band for a long time i get worse at writing awaken songs like it, it genuinely happens and the same in in certain genres, or the same on certain instruments. I, I get less and less creative if I don't constantly explore and and um, just have fun in in certain areas of certain things. So again, I've gone off off the uh, point. But in terms of how I approach writing, it's very much a stock standard. I like to at least figuratively be alone. I can't really be in like a loud room of crowded people and be talking and feel creative or something. I just like to drown out noise, zone out, and think. And something about music for me is really visual, not in a cool way of like seeing seeing sound. Like <laughs> it's, no, it's nothing like that.
0: You don't have synesthesia.
1: No, I wish I did. That sounds sick. Even just the title, I'd be I'd be proud just to say it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know some people have got it. It's weird.
1: Yeah, it sounds like life would just be very hard to live normally. <laughs> It'd be so weird. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of awaken songs turn out to be almost written like a movie script. And sometimes it's a bad thing like cuz it gets into the lyrics and then the lyrics aren't sick cuz it's kind of just like detailing a short fictional story. Um yeah, that's what most of my my writing is like. I haven't really been through that many crazy things in life. I had like the world's most average upbringing. Not average is in bad, like stock standard upbringing with like a happy family. You know those people that it's all of their trauma has brought out something. Yes. Just yeah, just forceful and lively and creative and groundbreaking about them. I don't have that. I'm like your most average person. and most of my writing comes from just an imagination of a, a story or a feeling or a vibe.
0: I don't think you need to have trauma to be a good creator. definitely not. I don't think, yeah. I don't think it necessarily hurts, but it's not a requirement.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: It's definitely it's good it's good fuel.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. You're not you're not
0: missing anything. Yeah. If you didn't have that, you're you're actually good for you for not having it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very very thankful for it. I used to think it was a really big issue when I was really young, like going through school. I was like, I'm never going to be cool. Like my life's too normal. Yeah. All these people that I look up to have just either endured these crazy things or had these really you know this guy was like raised by a freaking wolf or something. And I'm there with like yeah. my nice parents and loving relationship with them and going through school like a normal person. I'm not popular. I'm not like a jock, but I'm not bullied. I'm just existing. And I was definitely that guy. And I was like, this is too plain. Like, this, this is never going to turn into anything. And that always stopped me from writing for a long time. But it's kind of just made me write uh, stories, which is fine. For some reason, I always thought that was an issue growing up. I was trying to be like this purist that was like, it needs to come from an honest place. And it still can. It's, it is
0: coming from an honest place.
1: It still can. It's just an honest story of something I'm seeing in my head. And that goes for music too. Like I, It sounds kind of corny, but I do believe that music is is a bit of a visual thing. Like It's a journey and a story and you can start and follow along and then reach a final point. And I think that's apparent in my songwriting as well where there's a very sure beginning, middle and end sort of thing without even lyrical content. Mm. And I think that's an important thing. But yeah, to come right back to the question, to tackle a writing process, that is the first and foremost thing. Well, number one, it's something I need to just get by. I don't know what it is. I feel a bit insane if I don't write for a long time. I find myself, if I'm doing strictly engineering jobs for a while, I find myself here late at night writing songs just for the fun of it. Um, So it's definitely something I use just for myself to stay sane and happy. But in terms of the process, it is all about just being able to place myself mentally somewhere else and, you know, wherever that may be or whatever that may be, write about it, if that makes sense.
0: How does that translate into the musical side of it? I understand how that translates to the lyrical side, but...
1: Well, I kind of... uh, Have you you heard... My band's latest song that came out called "Roses." Is that the one you listen to by any chance? Mm -hmm. When I wrote that, that was that was a strictly visual thing. Like it is so much something I can see playing out in my head. Not how the film clip is. Like it's almost like a little short movie, and it's almost like if you were to score a film. I find it hard to word this, but you'd sort of have emotions to play off and things to get somewhere, and then there's something climatic, so there is a big impactful spot. And to me, that's that. It's, it's basically just a, a bunch of, you know, a play on the emotion of, like, happiness and sadness with major or minor sort of things, and that song is obviously really dark in the intro. And then there's a sort of rise in tension as the rhythm section sort of builds up in the verse. And then coming up to that pre-chorus, there is sort of a build-up and release and something snaps. And it's quiet and calm for a second, and it's almost like in the quiet and calm, someone's tied a little bit of a noose around your neck, and when the chorus hits, they pull it and you're like, you know, you're, you get this ultimate whiplash and it's into a crazy chorus and then kind of rinse and repeat and same with most songs I write. It's something like that. I kind of just went on a tangent and have never thought about that, but that's how I see it in my head.
0: Yeah, that is, that is pretty interesting. Where does uh, music theory come into play? Because you did mention major and minor for certain moods.
1: I was very into music theory through school. And it's not something I've really nurtured since, which kind of makes me sad because I don't really believe that it's like... You know those people that say like music theory is limiting because it's like, oh, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's like I don't want to be stuck in music correctness. I think that's so stupid. Oh, it's so dumb. Imagine like driving a yeah. car and not knowing how to change gears and being like, I don't want to be restricted to those gears. Like, <laughs> oh, I just want to drive in one gear the whole time. It's so... <laughs> that's stupid. Yeah, there's a lot of things that have helped me. A big one that I'm loving lately is just that that age old relative major thing which we really milked in the Slaves record a couple of times I think and it was so sick where you go to that strange unexpected minor thing and it's a whole shift in in emotion throughout the song we did that in I believe it was the Burial Lie bridge and that's one that I know resonated with people that you know most people that commented on it were like damn that bridge man and Matt the singer lets out a scream which is like they're a pretty band so screaming is like Outlandish for that music. And if the singer lets out a scream, everyone's like, oh, like he really meant that. So it's just this whole, you know, build up of there's the relative major shift, everything's sick, everything's, you know, anthemic and awesome. And the singer screams and it's this big thing. Sorry, I've forgotten the question. Uh, music theory, it doesn't play that much of a role in my writing. It's mostly.
0: Sounds like it's already in you though.
1: Yeah, a little bit. There's like, there's just a, a lot of what I think sounds cool. Blanket statement, but it's mm-hmm. true. What I think sounds cool and it's just salt and peppered with a little bit of knowledge that helps, helps get that point across and helps aid that emotional thing that I was saying. But it's mostly, if I'm honest, it's kind of like just hacking. There's like three things that I really like and I just abuse them and then people are like, damn, Like he's talking about, like I don't know, triplets and the relative major and this and that and he must know what he's talking about. It's like that guy that can play one song on piano which is me as well, and everyone's like, "He can play piano." <laughs> it's no, I can play one song based off muscle memory, but I can't play <laughs> piano.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like you use theory more to just be able to name things.
1: Yes, yeah, not to, not to. More
0: like as a language
1: thing. Yeah, to to explain to people what I've done or something. It doesn't come into my yeah. head like I I know where I'm headed with this because I understand the the theory behind it. It's
0: Dude, I I think that theory that's what theory is for. Honestly, is for communication purposes because really how can theory help you write yeah
1: it makes a lot of sense
0: yeah it's i think it's more about just being able to have some sort of common language even with yourself but uh i think it's more just about helping name things and communicate that's it
1: totally it makes sense well i know i know what i want to do Emotionally and what I want to hear before I know how to like how to put a turn, you know So exactly that's a really good point.
0: So do you uh, Subscribe to the idea you said that you get like three ideas and you abuse them. I Believe that most great songs really are only two or three ideas one of the places actually that metal goes wrong is Too many ideas like riff after riff, after riff after riff after riff after riff. Yeah, as a, you hear a song by like Muse or something like that and there's like three ideas and they but they just they just play them out in the most interesting ways possible. And the same with any good pop music or whatever.
1: Yeah, and that's what I'm loving about like I guess a good example is like Bring Me The Horizon's latest record. That you know, there's just there's mm-hmm. one you can tell there was this one epic idea and the whole song is just shaped around this one thing and it's it's so sick, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's awesome. Um, and I think that's really, really prevalent in not only my writing but a lot of writing that I enjoy listening to. And, yeah, then you get to some worlds where complexity is just too much. It's, I always say these, these guys are too talented for their own good because they're, just, they're, they're too, too musically impressive, you know, so you, you can't follow along and just enjoy it because you're constantly just like, holy hell, this is so much.
0: I actually think it's harder to write something simple. Yeah,
1: simple good. but good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To have an idea that's good enough to be so vulnerable in a song that you can abuse it so many times or just make the whole song about that one idea is hard, totally.
0: I think that's a lot harder than writing something complex, honestly.
1: Mm, that's a good point.
0: With something that actually like resonates with people and that's simple, That's to me, that's the most challenging... Uh, and highest form of achievement.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, man. I agree, and I love, uh, I love the sellout theory. I love when people are there, like this band, like the Bring Me stuff, and they're like, this band like sold out so hard, blah blah blah. And I'm listening to these <laughs> modern masterpieces that they have, and I'm like, this is like artistic brilliance. And then I listen to like Pray for Plagues or something from way back in the day, and I'm like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> this isn't that good. It's just a bunch of notes and an angry like an angry vocalist you know it's it's not even that musically impressive it's just lots all the time uh in comparison to their new stuff which is so refined and so uh like creatively impressive just because it's it's yeah so bare bones and so simple but everything is executed flawlessly
0: yeah that's that's some serious craft in my opinion
1: totally i agree so at what
0: point does arrangement come in uh do you write like stripped down uh, simple versions and then arrange, or does it all come out like as as it's going to be?
1: I think. Well, it's very much for me section by section. I find it really hard when someone's like, "Shouldn't we like, shouldn't we be laying out all drums and all guitars like all drums first and then all guitars?" I find that really difficult to just process. Um, well, I mean, more like
0: writing the song on an acoustic than sitting down uh, and doing the arrangement or writing on a piano.
1: I don't do that. I don't know why. I think it's maybe because I've had access to production since I really started writing.
0: So you just think in completed ideas.
1: Yeah, yeah. The imagination when I have the idea is everything from yeah instruments to production to even like mix things. I hear it in my head as a final product, and I'm like, okay, now I just need to work out how to get from here to there, sort of thing.
0: Awesome. Well, dude, I think this is a good place to end the episode. I want to thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Awesome, absolutely, man. Like I said, it's it's genuinely uh, an honor to come on and talk to you. Feel a little unqualified compared it. to who else has been on here, but it's a it's an honor, nah. man. <laughs> it's very cool.
0: If you're on here, you're qualified.
1: <laughs> Beautiful, I love it. Well, yeah,
0: the, that's the general rule.
1: <laughs> I love it. It's the standard. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, man. I've uh, I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you.
0: My pleasure. Okay, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends, as well as post them to your Facebook, Instagram, or any social media you use. Please tag me at A.L. Levy URM audio. And of course, please tag my guests as well. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy
1: and press the podcast link today.